What a sad group, man. The Republicans have got a really sad group. Even when Lardass, when Rush is uh, bemoaning the fact that there's no true conservative there, there's all a bunch of phony balonies. When even even uh, Mike Huckleberry isn't enough of a Nazi for Rush, that tells you a lot. He ought to be. With his Christian nation and his Bible-thumping BS and his bigotry, but nevertheless not big enough for Rush and his ditto heads. Oh, oh what just happened there? I thought the market was down only 24 points. Now, that, that had to be file footage again. They keep doing that, and they're really starting to piss me off more than usual, CNN. I'm going down there right now. Yeah, it's down 67. That is still pretty bad. And the NASDAQ is way like 50 points down. Not good. You better uh, sell your stock. All right. 7.42 on the pull now, Chris. You happy? I just want to get that off of there. It's uh, horrible. It's uh, idiot. It's embarrassing. I'm even happy your streaming's up. Mm-hmm. Oh, the streaming is back up. Oh, oh happy day. Hallelujah. All right. No holding us back now. Biggest names. The best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. I know that the Lord even loves Neil Rogers. Mean to me, Neil Rogers is so mean to me. Why, Nellie? It seems to me you want to get me crying. I don't know why you won't leave me alone Each day on the radio You know that I'm just a fat fool And a paper tiger You treat me coldly of the year, <laughs> and you always scold me about how sports is so boring and queer. Oh, it must be great fun <laughs> to be so mean to me. You shouldn't scold Nellie, can't you see just how mean you are to me? Every day you're mean to me. <laughs> you fairy. 1032 at 560 WQM. I'm getting from the New York Post more details because I'm sure that the audience, the entire audience is sitting on the edge of their collective seats. They want to know more about Heath Ledger and how come he died. Don't they? Apparently. Well, that's what the media so wants us to uh, film on him. Uh, so about many right movies now. at such a, a young age. I'm thinking about Casanova, Monsters Ball. Yeah, see, there you go. That's all they're talking about. Heath Ledger's dead. Anyway, it says his body was found naked and dead in his Soho apartment yesterday after he apparently overdosed on anti-anxiety pills. Yeah. His ex-fiancee, actress Michelle Williams, was flying to New York from Sweden with her two-year-old daughter Matilda, her father said. Larry Williams told the Daily Telegraph in Australia, My heart goes out to everyone. My family uh, were just very sad. And the saddest thing is his daughter, who he loved dearly. While some sources said Ledger was depressed, the actor's father, Kim, later released a statement declaring his son's death accidental. His father, Kim, 
What kind of a name is that for a guy? No wonder he uh, took the pills. You know, okay, Kimba Bocamper, excuse me. <laughs> oh. You better beef One... up. <laughs> excuse me. One cop at the scene said it didn't appear to be suicide, but police were still investigating, and an autopsy is scheduled for today. Ledger was found by his mate and the masseuse with whom he had a scheduled 3 p.m. appointment at his $23,000 a month three-bedroom loft at 421 Broom Street. When the two women entered his bedroom about 3.20 p.m., Ledger was nude, lying face down and unresponsive. They probably said... Oh, my God. Or maybe they said... Oh, my God. What's this fax here? Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah, you're going to love it. Oh, look at that. I faxed this yesterday at the end of your show, so I'm not sure if you disregarded it or missed it, but in the event you missed it, I just want to let you know the biggest obstacle to Barack Obama winning the Democratic nomination isn't the women who want to blindly vote for a woman or the dumbasses who think voting for Hillary is like voting for Bill. Actually, the biggest obstacle is something entirely different. Yeah, I know all about that, about uh, this phony uh, email thing and about uh, Muslim... But we talked about that at length. Ask around or put it to a poll. I guarantee that's the predominant reason, and I guarantee that's not. It's because he's black, not because people think he's a... Your deleted MySpace pal, Frank. P.S. Stop being a... Uh, and add me back. No. See, if I delete somebody on there, there's got to be a really, really good reason, okay? Really good reason. Just like that stupid-ass David guy that I'm going to delete, I think, if he, if he bugs me again. Oh, no calls today. That's good. Like I, like I need a daily uh, report card from him. Schmuck. Like I said, I'm an old coot, an old queen. I don't take uh, advice on how to live my life, how to do the show. It's here. It's free. The price is right. It's been here for a long time. And uh, if you like it, great. I'm ecstatic. If you hate it but you still want to listen, that's great, too. If you don't want to, great. Just say, I don't want to, and goodbye. That's all. Very simple. One cop at the scene said it did not appear to be suicide, but police were still investigating. How, how do you know whether it's suicide? It says pills were strewn around the bed, and there was a bottle next to the actor's body. That doesn't look like suicide to me, does it? You don't know. <laughs> Emergency workers were unable to revive the star. He was pronounced dead at 3.35 yesterday afternoon. Bottles of the generic forms of Xanax and Valium were found in the house, according to law enforcement sources. The sleeping drug Ambien was also found near his body. The maid said she last heard the star snoring around noon. He was snoring and snoring. We're investigating the possibility of an overdose. NYPD spokesman Paul Brown said there were pills within the vicinity of the bed. Another police source said it doesn't appear to be a suicide. Well, pills strewn all around and uh, bottles around the body. That doesn't sound like a suicide to me, does it? Maybe they just fell on the floor. Maybe when he uh, plopped down, right. they just fell on the floor. It could have been an accident and somebody got hurt. Yeah, an accident and somebody got hurt. Michelle Vella, a worker at the Calypso Kids Store in Manhattan, said the actor loved to spoil Matilda and would frequently pop in, both of them toting ice cream cones. He didn't talk to her like a baby. He never rushed her, Vella said. Wasn't that sweet? And now he's dead. Pills. Too many pills, baby. Should have happened to Rush, not to him. Should only happen to big, fat-ass Rush and all of his sycophants. Underline the sick part. 774 on that unctuous, horrible poll that we got up there about how long do you think before you're going to croak. So George had a little trouble getting to work this morning. Do I want to? I, I wasn't the only one. At least, at least two people were killed this morning. Right. In a crash involving several vehicles, including a semi-trailer that turned the southbound lanes of I-95 into a tangle of twisted metal. I-95. Do you remember I-95 before Zeta? Yes. Don Cox was there. Right. Now, 
Keith Isley was the PD. That's right. Keith, who used to sit and eat uh, sushi. He used to eat, like, uh, strange sushi stuff with eyes that were looking back at you. You know, he was a strange guy. Anyway, the 6 a.m. wreck near Hallandale Beach Boulevard shut all southbound lanes. Rush hour traffic was being funneled off the highway at Pembroke Road. Florida's turnpike and 441 were possible alternates, and poor George had to come down 441 and take the back roads this morning. Yeah, that even, well, wasn't even good enough. That wasn't moving. Well, central to the crash was that jackknife truck. It cut across all lanes of traffic and ended up facing west still upright. Investigators on the scene said a hit-and-run vehicle may have been involved. The fatalities were visible inside a Nissan pickup, compressed beyond recognition. Crews tried to rescue the victims from the crushed pickup with the jaws of life, but too late. Seven emergency trucks from Broward, seven from Dayton, two from Hallandale Beach responded. Crews sprayed the foam on the highway to prevent spilled fuel from igniting. The traffic nightmares expected to last some time. Well, a lot of bad news here to start. It's enough to drive me to go right back to bed. You know what? I think that's a good idea. Go back to bed. Here's some good news, though. I wonder who that Frank guy was I deleted. I think I'm going to check my, uh, did I block him or delete him, I wonder. Oh, who knows? It's a jerk. Anybody that I block is somebody that sent a bunch of, in fact, maybe I should read the list of the people I blocked on there. Mm-hmm. Tell you why, what kind of jerks, jackasses, fools. Most of them are fakes anyway, you know. It's, it's kind of pointless getting upset about anybody on there because, you know, no real person is going to give you their real identity and then be a jerk, you know. Except maybe that David guy. You're a jerk, David. Get lost. Take a hike. We're streaming again. Oh, yeah. Although we did have one dropout in um, Texas so far, the Texas server. Mm-hmm. I wonder why we get that now. Remember that one day? I think it was when you were on vacation. Remember, Chris? Yep. We were having all kinds of server problems and uh, dropouts and the, the streaming wasn't working. And then all of a sudden it came back up there split the thing there about the uh, server in Texas and the server in California. Well, I think Eric wants you to have more information. Yeah, wants me to have a little more to talk about. That's good. More numbers on there, Eric. We like the numbers, okay? It's my way of mailing it in. Well, we'll do that thing about Barack Obama's way ahead in South Carolina, the newest poll. But then again, do we trust the polls no. these days? I don't know. We trust the uh, Russians more than we used to, but the polls I'm not so sure of. Like Boy Gary. 20 before 11. Joan Fleischman wrote something about Hank on there, about how he's on ESPN more, and bada beep bada bop and uh, something about uh, the Patriots and the Giants and... It was pretty boring, Joni, but at least you mentioned Hank's name. That's good. Unlike Barry Jackass, who won't write about the ratings that just came out. You little simpleton, man. You little putz. You little turd. You're like a turd on the couch, like a dog took a dump on the couch. That's you, Barry. You simpleton. You fairy. God. I guarantee if the numbers would have been the other way around, if uh, the guys across the street, if the stick it to the ticket would have kicked our ass, there would have been a front page story in there. Oh, the ticket is blown away, QAM. They're dominating the sports radio scene. Yeah. But because we kicked their nasty, smelly, going out of business ass, uh, Barry won't write a damn word. You better get with it, Barry. We're going to burn the Herald building down with you in it. Sports father, the Dolphins are weak. We do not know what to do. You can act like a sport hole. Oh, get me that new coach named Tony Soprano. That's not his real name, but it's so close, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but, like, make sure he doesn't walk out of there with a football in his hand. See? We have a sense of humor. <laughs> Only if it's sports-related, of course. I'm buck wild, baby. Hey, welcome to the J.J. Ben Oh, my! Jackson Show. It's time for the stats. 
I said it's time for the stats. Starting off with a four, four thousand. Uh, let's start with four thousand. Sounds like a pretty good number. Uh, four thousand U.S. soldiers dead in Iraq. Six hundred fifty thousand dead Iraqis. Three point eight billion for Baghdad Embassy. Hey, who cares about that? Look at the sports station. Looks like somebody played a joke. Not very funny. Got to keep your little minds numb for the single-cell life forms that runs in place. Well, where's the heat stats? They didn't play last night? Uh, not even a little bit? Aren't there any games we can have a bag fest about? No? Well, I thought we had a... Whoa! Uh, no football? Okay, uh, well, well, let's fantasize then. Uh, let's go to the phones for some fantasy basketball, shall we? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, production room down the hall. Hello. Might be the Algonquin, not your. QAM reception desk. Hello. Oh, I can do curling with my beard. You can? It looks like a whisk broom. But when I drop pistachio nuts on the table, all I have to do is move my head like this. Wanna see? Uh, no, man, not really. Blah, 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 blah. Well, thank you for your call, okay. Easy on that drum track, will you? I mean, I, I know it's intimate, and you can turn it down. Hey, let's be professional here now. 1047 at 560 WQM. If you like that, stay tuned to two. You'll hear lots more of the same. 799 on your pull. You've got, you got a thousand licked, and let's do it fast and get that horrible pull off of there. How long do you think you're going to live? What a stupid-ass pull, Charlie B. Oh, I forgot to look during the break. Uh, look up Frank and see who he was, who I deleted. Yeah. Do we want to hear just a little uh, time? I already said this, but I'll say it again. Heath Ledger, because that's all anybody's going to be talking about. An autopsy this morning on actor Heath Ledger was inconclusive, and the cause of death determination will take 10 to 14 days, medical examiner spokeswoman said. But a beat, but a boop, but a bop. He was 28, and uh, he's still dead. Well, there you go. I, I'm sure that there are people out there, probably women mostly, who think, oh, you're so insensitive. You're such a hard well, No, I'm not insensitive. I just didn't know him, and I don't care. I think it was all that much of a big deal about him. Oh, but he was so handsome. No, he was not. I would say, uh, if to give you an honest opinion, and the only thing I ever saw him in was broke-ass mounting. Okay. No, you saw him in Monsters Ball. He was in it briefly in the beginning. Oh, he was? Well, I forgot. Remember that? He was in the sun. He shot himself. Well, good. Good thinking. I, w- I give him like a little... He was a little bit better than average looking. So on a scale of 10, I give him a 6. Okay. Okay. Now, if he would have been like a nine or a ten, then I'd say, "Oh my God, uh, Heath Ledger is dead." You know, because that's the way we all are. You know, we get all emotional about people that we don't know, but who are celebrities and who look really hot. You know, like if uh, if Britney several years ago would have uh, taken pills, first of all, she would have done us a big favor. Number one, yeah. and number two, a lot of guys would be, "Oh my God, not Britney! Leave Britney alone." Let's see. Oh, no. Conservative radio talk show host Rush Limbaugh has got a new sweetheart, and she's nearly half his age. Nothing wrong with that. Limbaugh, who turned 57 January 12th, told uh, page 2 in the Palm Beach Post he's been dating West Palm Beach resident Catherine Rogers for the past six months. No relation to... Oh, God! 
Driver's license record shows she is 31. So what's wrong with that? So much for being a recluse, Limbaugh said, mocking news reports, claiming he rarely leaves his Palm Beach compound. I thought he just got, he married, what's her name from, uh, used to be on CNN. I, uh, I guess that fell through. She got tired of his ass. No. Oh, Darren, Darren Kagan. Yeah, very good, Darren Kagan. Uh, charity golf tournament, but it was at the Floridian uh, Dolphins owner Wayne Heisinger's private course near Stewart. We stayed in touch since and started dating in the summer, he said. But a beep, but a boop, but a bop. And it goes, oh, why do I care about this? About the, all this crap? Rush is dating. Oh, heavy duty news. And you wasted two pages of my fax paper with that. Shame on us. 803 on your poll, Chris. You're marching well on your way to that thousand easily today, so we can Schmidt can that poll. All right. Speaking of polls, Barack Obama holds a double-digit lead on rival Hillary Clinton just three days before South Carolina's presidential primary, aided by a huge edge among black voters. And like I told you the other day, and I'll say it again, this election, at least on the, well, on the Democratic side, it's about race and gender and age. And on the Republican side, it's about who's the biggest hawk, who wants to kill everybody, and who's the biggest uh, getchke, the biggest Bible-thumping idiot. It's not about issues. It's not about the economy. It's not about the uh, saving the world. It's not about global warming. It's not about uh, any of these things. It's not about education. It's about bigotry. Obama leads Clinton 43 to 25 points. 18 points. Oh! Let's hear it, Barack. Nice going in the real rolling tracking pool. With John Edwards, a distant turd at 15%. That's the state he was born in, you know. They keep telling us that every five minutes. He was born there, and you know what? They still don't want to do with him. More than half the Democratic primary voters in South Carolina expected to be black. Obama leads among African Americans 65 to 16 percent. Clinton and Edwards are virtually tied among white voters, with Clinton leading 33 to 32 percent. Clinton and Edwards, while Obama's third among whites with only 18 percent. See, race has nothing to do with this. <laughs> Likely, black voters make up slightly more than half the poll sample. Obama is doing very well among African Americans, but getting a decent share of the white vote in a three-way race, pollster John Zogby said, 18 points. That's not decent the way I look at it, do you think? He's getting 65% of the black vote, 18% of the white vote. That's a decent share of the white vote? That blows. So sure enough. Oh, he's too dark for me. Obama and Clinton, a New York senator who would be the first woman, have engaged in increasingly contentious duel for the Democrat. We know about that. In the one night of polling conducted after the debate, Edwards appears to have made some slight gains. The question is, who does Edwards help and hurt? What impact does he have, Zogby said? He said the race in South Carolina still shows, shows some fluidity. About, unlike uh, that body, you know. About 14% of voters in the state are undecided, and about 20% of voters backing a candidate they say could still change their mind. The economy was listed as the top issue among South Carolina voters by 49%. The war in Iraq, 24%. Obama led consistently among all... Almost all subgroups, including men, women, liberals, conservatives, young voters, low-income voters, high-income voters, and union households. Clinton, oh, here we go again. Clinton aged Obama out among the oldest voters above age 70, usually her greatest strength. And Edwards led Obama among Republicans. Well, whoopie do, of course. They want a guy with a bad... I bet you, like I said yesterday, if you pull that hair, it would come right off. Bad, bad hairpiece. Just like Mitt Romney, same thing. Bad hairpiece. In a rolling poll, the most recent day's results are added to the oldest day. It's kind of like the trends, you know, the trends. In Arbitron, you know what that is, Barry? Arbitron, the ratings, the radio ratings. When are we going to read about them in the Miami Herald, which is supposedly a newspaper, a newspaper that prints news, information, that publishes stuff that people have a right to know and want to know. When are you going to put it in there, Barry? Or are you sitting down with Joel Feinberg still trying to figure out how to put the spin on it? 
Spin your dreidel, Barry. You're a jackass. You're an idiot. And as far as the Sun Sentinel is concerned, they don't have anybody that writes about radio. Once in a while, Jicky gets inspired, you know. Not very often. And, of course, since the station blew out the humper, his close personal friend, he's probably still pretty. And since Joe had a tantrum on the phone. I'm not really big on people that have tantrums, you know what I mean? Yeah, I have to contend with those here every now and then. Yeah, I, I contend with really? tantrums here. I'm not, yeah. I don't. I have a teenager. Yeah. With a job. Yeah, what are you trying to say? With a job. He loves me. <laughs> Doesn't throw tantrums at all. Happy to see me all the time. Yeah. Appreciates everything I've done for her. Right. Buys me stuff with her own money. Right. Mm hmm. And? Nothing. So what are you trying to say? I'm a schmuck? Is that what you're trying to tell me yeah. again for the 8 million time that I'm a putz and a schmuck? No, I was just bragging about my situation oh, there, good. At, least, at least in that No, respect. you're not. Well, that's good. I yeah. love your daughter. She's great. Yeah, she's, she's a, a sweetheart. She's brilliant. Mm -hmm. she's, a, she's a sweet young lady. And right. maybe, and if I'm, well, I don't have to tell you, but I'd be real careful about who she winds up with. You know she, I mean? uh, she's got good taste. I know, she's taste. got very good taste. That's right. Maybe up and like that, that's mm -hmm. good. She's got strong character, doesn't let anybody push her around. Good. That's the way to go. Mm -hmm. I wish I could be like that. Uh, me too. China shut down 44,000 websites and arrested 868 people for unhealthy inter Internet pornography last year. China's public unhealthy Internet pornography as opposed to healthy Internet pornography, of course. China's public security ministry said pornography had perverted China's young minds. Let me tell you this, 400 Chinese here in Toronto, and you want to see some really horny bastards, man. Oh, brother, let me tell you right now. Mm. Remember what I told you about those, like, mixed uh, half-Chinese, half-Canadian uh, people? No, what'd you tell me? Whoa. Ow! Nearly 2,000 people involved in Internet pornography activities were also penalized, the official Xinhua News Agency said. China's online population has soared to 210 million people, could surpass the U.S. this year to become the world's biggest, the official China Internet Network News Information uh, Center said earlier this month. The Chinese president said the country's sprawling Internet posed a threat to social stability. I guarantee you they can't read what we got on our website. I guarantee you that. One of those sites shut down was selling real-time porn. 33 people were arrested, according to state media. The live site, whose server was based in Taiwan, charged viewers to watch strip shows or other pornographic performances that were staged in China. The operation started up in the second half of 2006 and took in more than a million yuan, that's 71,000 pounds, 150 uh, grand, in just three months, Xinhua said. The site was said to have been the most widely visited pornographic site among those that were shut down as part of last year's cleanup. China's attempted to stifle online criticism of the ruling Communist Party and discussion related to sensitive topics such as Tibet and Taiwan by ordering websites to register with authorities. 14,000 websites failed to get official registration or to apply for official approval. 199,000 websites did. So there's a lot of uh, hanky-panky and hocus-pocus. Good. Maybe the Internet is what's going to save the Chinese, you think? Oh, it could. There you go. And it better because they got you know, all of our money. 832 votes on Chris's poll. Let's get that thousand on there real quick so we can uh, Schmidt can this poll is bad. It's weak. Lean. Slow. Heath Ledger is still dead, by the way. The sports leader. This is the Neil Rogers Show. Rock solid. This is your brain. Any questions? Combined, Kelly Clarkson, Carrie Underwood, and Chris Daughtry have sold over 22 million records. But not all the American Idol contestants have hit it big. Here's what some of them are doing now. Ruben stuttered. Welcome to Jack in the Box. Can I take your order? I'd like to 
have a bacon ultimate cheeseburger. A bacon cheese ciabatta burger. A junior bacon cheeseburger. Sourdough Jack. Wait a minute. You sound familiar. Is this Luther Vandross? No, man. Luther Vandross dead. This is Ruben Stutter from American Idol. Ruben Stutter? He's dead. Jessica Sierra. I used to work at Hooters. And I did a lot of high school, vodka, and then... Hey, Jessica, you got any weed? Leave me alone, leave me alone. All right. That's called the Purple Monster. But I'm only out to never rehab. Hey, Jessica, you got any cocaine? No, no, leave me alone, leave me alone. Uh, for the exposure. Though I have exposed myself in front of the window. Hey, my Jessica, can I see your bruised boob? Yes. Taylor Hicks. my wife gave me to plow the driveway. Yeah, that's right. Snow Patrol. We've got a team of experienced drivers to dig you out. Yeah, I don't know why you're singing to me, but if you could just get somebody over here, it'd really be appreciated. Catherine McPhee. It's 11.03 at 5.60 WKM. We're streaming again. Oh, oh yeah. That's big news. Isn't that big news? It's uh, something. It's and news. I looked on uh, the MySpace to see if I could find if I had blocked someone named Frank. I didn't block anybody named Frank. Now, maybe I deleted his, his profile. Is that right. possible? You uh, unfriended him or something. Yeah, I could have done that. Cause I'm, and I'm looking at the people I've blocked. This is all, You know how many I've got? 48. And you know who hmm. one of them is? Doran. Right oh, with Moron. Really? Oh, yes. He reached out to you, did he? Oh, yes. Didn't uh, try to be my friend. Well, good. I know. Well, he's uh, blocked. <laughs> and on his, on his uh, profile, it says, nice guy looking for a nice lady. Uh-huh. Yeah, all you ladies out there, be sure and hook up with Deron. He's one of the sure. chronics. He's he thinks of... uh, calling guys on the radio is going to get him a chick. What? That's not how you get chicks, calling guys on the radio. Call right, some chick on the radio. Cranks, calls right. on the talk shows. That's not Ain't how no works, chicks right? here, buddy. Oh. What about Lucy Lopez? I don't Chicks think that aren't spoken uh, for. No, she's not into that. She's not into crazy people? Well, she's not I'm into so weird sorry. tards, More no. Wrong. 832 is all you got in your pool. It's just sitting there. It's stuck there. I think Eric put the brake on. He don't want me to change it. Come on, Eric. Let's go. 836. There we go. He finally took his foot off the brake. See what happens when he takes his foot off it? Believes something would happen to someone so talented and... He's a great actor. I mean, he had the... She can't believe that something like this would happen to somebody so talented. In other words, if he was a mediocre actor in her estimate, then maybe he might have, like, croaked at an early age, you know? I mean, I can't believe something like this would happen to somebody so talented. Right. That, how that's how it works. Dean, how about all those James Dean groupies? How old was he? And what about, uh, what's his name, um, uh, uh, Brandon DeWilda? What about him? Dead. Yeah. Who would look a hell of a lot better and had a hell of a lot more talent than Heath Ledger. I'll guarantee you that. But nevertheless... 
fact, I, I take it back. They just showed him uh, schmoozing around with some card. I, I take a point back. Five. Just, just an average, yeah, a five, maybe a five and a half. Just a guy, you know? Mm -hmm. Like you, just a guy. Not ugly, not good looking, just a guy. Just, uh, you know, menza menza. Yeah, I'll take it. Right, that, exactly, I would take it. Nothing wrong with looking like average. But all this hysteria about him, and why? Because of the fact he was in the movies and on television, that's why, like you always say. That's right. If oh, he seen must their be face really hot. On oh, anything yeah. other than their head, they're hot and they want them. It could be a no. milk, it could be a wanted poster, it could I, be and, a... And yeah. I'll tell you right now, Jake Gyllenhaal's a hell of a lot better looking than he is, and he ain't much anymore in it either. He used to be, but he ain't much. He's got that age thing catching up to me. I mean, A-G-E, age catches up to you, baby. 836 votes, considering your family, and I will read it. Don't interrupt me. I said, you know, once an hour is good enough for this. And then we'll read it. Considering your family genetics and the state of your health, how long do you honestly think you'll live? This is Charlie B's idea, this poll, not mine. It's not as good as what your favorite sandwich filling is, or <laughs> I should read some of these polls you yes. sent the other day. I mean, he's losing. Yes, you should. He has lost it. Would you ever donate one of your kidneys? Who's yeah. your favorite Brady? And then he's got all the people from the Brady Bunch plus Tom Brady and Brady Quinn. You know, I mean, oh, Charlie, I know it's not easy. Into my 80s, 250. Into my 70s, 240. Into my 90s, 100. Into my 60s, 74. Well, I made that. I should have died already, 59. 100 or beyond, 48. Sure. Wishful thinking. I might go any day now, 41. Into my 50s, 26. People with low self-esteem. Or people just have, you know, like... Bad crap in the family. Maybe they got some, like, diseases and stuff, you know. Maybe they got some issues. Maybe they just don't bathe regular, stuff like that. I don't know. I see our friend Sean sent me a couple of polls here. The first one, oh, the dumbest cultural tradition. Are you looking at this? I, I didn't read it, no. The first one is dowry, as in India. And then the right. second one is S-U-T-T-E-E -E or S-A-T-I, Sati, look it up. I never heard of that. No, no, I, that? no I look it up, it says. No way. No. If we're going to do a poll where I have to look something up, I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, that sounds like work, dangerously yeah. close to work. Well, no, I mean, if I have to look it up, then how we expect the average schmucks out there going to know what the hell that's all about? Although I guess if people are into that, then they would know. But, you know. It's not easy, baby. It's not easy. I say let's uh, get rid of the poll. Let's take that poll again. Let's uh, dump Schmidt can the poll. No, they like the poll. Poll does very well. Also, no calls do it very well. Let's take some calls, Lassar. What do you say? No. Just a joke. That's when you should hit that buzzer like Like that. I'll tell you who owes me an apology that guy Bob from Coral Springs. That really, it just, uh, it rubbed me the wrong way. I have a tough enough time getting rubbed the right way, but that rubbed me the wrong way. That, that, that fax, fax yesterday. yesterday? Oh, yeah. That crap All about the, the bridge time. tender. Well, All you know, the time. In other words, he's blaming me for not being able to make these idiots into, like, uh, funny calls or something like that. Look, How the hell can you do that? I know. It used to be panning for gold. You know, you'd have to go through a lot of calls to get a nugget like that. And these yeah. days, there ain't no chance. There ain't no gold. Right. That's not in correct. this mine. Quarter slot guy. Quarter slot guy. Sure. What did I ever do to you, Neil? What did I ever do to you? Ringo Starr is known for being the amiable beetle that says, here, I think he's crap myself. Oh, remember that fax I got? Speaking of mm -hmm. nasty faxes a few months ago. You don't even like Ringo Starr or Frank Sinatra, and you are so negative. Remember that one? Another fake. Another phony. Probably from Joe Bell. Ringo Starr is known for being the amiable beetle, but the rock star showed his tough side yesterday when he walked off the set of Live with Regis and Kelly rather than cut short one of his songs. Starr, who's promoting his new album, Liverpool 8, 
planned to perform the title song with fellow rocker Dave Stewart. However, due to miscommunication between his publicist, Edith Freund, and the musical director, Starr didn't realize the performance had to be two and a half minutes or less, Freund told the AP. When told Tuesday morning the performance had to be shortened, Freund said Starr tried to cut about a minute of the song's four-minute, 15-second length down to three and 3.30. Three minutes and... About 30, man. However, according to Freund, producer Michael Gelman said it had to be less than three minutes. Gelman. Now, you know who Gelman is on the radio show? He's been with him for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. He got married not that long ago, and if there's anybody that ever impressed me as being really but a screamer, it was always him. But it just goes to show you, don't stereotype. Right. He's no Rock Hudson, you know, or Raymond Burr. We offered to cut back our chat time and ask them to fade or go to commercial. They were not willing to do that. Ringo was not willing to cut it further. So without a compromise, we weren't able to stay, Freund said in the statement of the AP. Ringo left saying, God bless and goodbye. We still love Regis. A spokeswoman for Regis and Kelly told the AP the show's producers tried to work with Starr, noting his appearance had been booked since November and the time requirement for the song, the show's standard, had been expressed numerous times. With star absent, fashion designer Michael Kors and the winners of CBS's The Amazing Race did extra segments to fill his time. Star 67 shortened his song for CBS's Late Show with David Letterman, but it was still over three minutes, Freund said. Wow. He walked off the set of Regis and Kelly. I think more people ought to do that. Just get up and walk out and spit at uh, somebody, you know. Spit at Gelman. Would be good. Say, what the hell are you go? What's your talent? <laughs> you fairy. Yeah, like that. 847 on the poll. Well, I'm really Jones to get to a uh, thousand. So we can get the other one on there. Now, do you want to know which other one I got for tomorrow? Yeah. It's another Charlie B poll. But if the, of that bunch he sent the other day, it's the only one that's like even decent. I'm not saying it's great. Which of these most populous U.S. metropolitan areas, in, excluding South Florida, would you least want to live in? You think that's bad? Okay. No, it's. Okay, considering what we've been getting lately. Dallas, Fort Worth, Philadelphia, Houston, D.C., Atlanta, Detroit, Boston, San Francisco, Oakland, Phoenix, or Seattle. Which one of those would you least want to live in outside of South Florida? Now, if you include South Florida on there, that's my vote's all, you know, all taken care of. Families of firefighters killed in the 9-11 terror attacks on the World Trade Center rallied in Orlando yesterday in anticipation of the state's upcoming Republican primary. Unfortunately... For presidential candidate Rudy Giuliani, the firefighters are not in his corner. We want America to know that the Giuliani campaign is lying to America and the American public, said Jim Riches, a deputy chief of the New York Fire Department, telling all of Florida that the New York City Fire Department backs him when that's another lie. Firefighters and their families vowed to dog the former New York mayor at all of his Florida campaign stops because the state figures prominently in his big state campaign strategy. The protesters think Giuliani was aware that firefighters who responded to the World Trade Center attack were carrying defective radios and didn't hear the order to evacuate. He didn't prepare us before, during, or after, says Riches. Giuliani's campaign strongly on his performance and leadership during the attacks on New York, claiming he's best suited to prevent an Islamic terror war against us, but the firefighters were quick to question that courage. Yet the decision he made was which direction he was going to run, says Riches. He ran north. That's all he did. He ran. He ran like a coward on 9-11, it says. The Giuliani campaign little to display a misleading partisan attack. The former mayor is also emphasizing his ability to deal with the economy, distancing himself from the 9-11 pitch, because like Joe Biden said, every speech he makes, every sentence he says, 9-11 a noun and a verb, and that's it. Mr. Big Hero. And they're going to make him look like the fool that he really is. And, and more power to them. You're done, Rudy. You're Panico. Go on with Regis and Kelly. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. I dropped my wiener. 
Most Detective Agency, if somebody's dead and you pull the trigger, Mo will help, but the fee will be bigger. Oh, Mo, uh, Joe Bell here. We're having a problem with uh, chronic crank callers. You don't say. And what do you want me to do about it? Well, we need you to find them. My fee's about $30 a day, plus expenses. What do you want me to do after I find them? Eliminate them, of course. Forget about it. That's what I say. I'll double your fee and uh, send you a rubber check someday. You got yourself a boy. Mo, Private Detective. Starring Mo as Mo, the Private Detective. The following is my account of a chronic call of matter. I called him the best dooley I know. He may be stupid in it, but I knew he was the biggest yenta in town. He crept into my orifice like a Republican loaded with taboo. Sat at the end of my desk and crossed his short-panted legs like a bubble dancer with a slow leak. <laughs> you really ought to buy some chairs for this place. Now, see here, knucklehead. I need your help to get me the birds I low down on this chronic calling caper, see? Now, what are you going to do for me, huh? Uh, I don't think I can remember. Well, will uh, this help your memory? Ooh, a shark bobblehead doll. Whee! Now, spill it. Sure. The guy you're after is... <laughs> just what I needed. Another dead body in my orifice. Besides my own. And it just so happens he left a clue scribbled on the back of a scoopin's coupon. I wrote the address down and ran out of there like an ant in a bakery. Now, I may not know what that means, but I found the place. Fortified with glazed donut, I faced life bravely. <laughs> the door was open. I let myself in. He looked nervous as a sword swallower with the equals. I know you better, That you making them calls? Oh, yes, that's me. Do you like it? Don't you think they're funny? No, not at all. Never. Can't you see I'm leaving behind a legacy? I'm going to be famous, I tell you. And I gave him a kiss off the hot end of my hot, moist fist. Okay, 1120 at 560 WQMI. I knew he had to be doing something these days. Now, is he still on 850, that station that's got no audience, that's got a point? Oh! Well, I don't know. They don't have a wall of football over there, I guess. Like we do. 869 what? on your poll, Chris. You better uh, butch it up a little bit, okay? Let's get out up to 1,000 and uh, get rid I might just get rid of it now. I don't know. What do you think? Come on, everybody. Let's get some votes. How here. about we get to 900 and then we change it? Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> it's just, uh, I don't know. Although, you know, Footy, I just checked on his thing during the break. He's still doing uh, Best Pizza. He's got some place that's got 5%, and that one that's been on there the whole time has got 95%. So I guess I guess it's kind of a waste of time, Footy, Footsie. Kind of like your show. It's a waste of time, baby. What a joke. Speaking of waste of time, Man Coulter appeared recently on Fox, Hannity, and Combs to defend the displaying of the Confederate flag in South Carolina, but she appeared to be straining even harder than usual to make her point. This really isn't a liberal conservative thing tonight. It's a northern-southern thing, she insisted, arguing uh, that the charges that the Confederate flag symbolizes slavery and racism are preposterous. 
That's right. That's like saying that the swastika represents uh, anti-Semitism, and that's preposterous. Right, man. You bitch. You idiot. You skank. When challenged to say what the Confederate flag does represent, Cota declared, the majority of military bases in this country are named after Confederate officers. Eisenhower Nimitz, um, the list of Southerners in our military is legion. That's what it stands for. Keith Olbermann later turned to Coder's statement on his own program, using it to dub her worst person of the week. He pointed out that if even Coder didn't actually mean to imply Eisenhower and Nimitz were Confederate officers, they were hardly typical Southerners either. Both were born in Texas, but Eisenhower's family moved to Kansas before he was two, while Nimitz came from a pro-Union, anti-slavery community. And there are no bases named for either one of them, Olbermann continued, and while there are bases named for Generals Beauregard and Bragg and Hill and Hood and Lee from the Confederacy, that's five. It's a long way from a majority of the hundreds of military bases in the country, so fact-wise, Coulter did exceptionally well today. Olbermann's own facts may not be entirely secure. According to one website, there are ten forts in the U.S. named for Confederate officers who had served meritoriously in the Union Army prior to the Civil War, as well as three military camps. However, those still form a tiny minority of the total number of military bases in the U.S. It does appear at least 26 out of the total 43 military forts are located in areas that were once part of the Confederacy, and it could possibly be the source of Coder's confusion. No, she's not confused. She just lies a lot. Her confusion. That was only down 80 points. Aren't you excited? No. Aren't you thrilled that it looks like it's making, like, uh, not a comeback, but no. uh, I don't know. It's making a something. It's making a mess. Oh, now it's down 84. I should have kept my mouth shut. 874 on the pole. Once we get to 900, we're getting off of that thing. I hate it. Can't stand it. Speaking of things and people I can't stand, George W. Bush. Even though our general manager is, uh, you know, got different views about our president because our general manager is brain dead. But nevertheless, who cares about him? We're not programming the show for you, Jolly Joe. In case you hadn't noticed, Bush told hundreds of lies about Iraq. A study by two nonprofit journalism organizations found that President Bush and top administration officials issued hundreds of false statements about the national security threat from Iraq in the two years following the 9-11 terrorist attacks. The study concluded that the statements were part of an orchestrated campaign that effectively galvanized public opinion and in the process led the nation to war under decidedly false pretenses. The study was posted yesterday on the website of the Center for Public Integrity, which worked with the Fund for Independence in Journalism, White House spokesman Scott Stanzel didn't comment on the merits of the study Tuesday night, but reiterated the administration's position that the world community viewed Iraq's leader Saddam Hussein as a threat. The actions taken in 2003 were based on the collective judgment of intelligence agencies around, around the world, Stanzel said. Right. The study counted 935 false statements in the two-year period. It found that in speeches, briefings, interviews, and other venues, Bush and administration officials stated unequivocally on at least 532 occasions that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction or was trying to produce or obtain them or had links to Al-Qaeda or both. All of these things. It is now beyond dispute that Iraq did not possess any weapons of mass destruction or have any meaningful ties to Al-Qaeda, according to Charles Lewis and Mark Redding-Smith, a fund for independence and journalism staff members, writing an overview of the study. In short, the Bush administration led the nation to war on the basis of erroneous information and methodically propagated, and that culminated in the military action against Iraq March 19, 2003. Shock and awe, shucks. Awe, shucks. Named in the study along with Bush were top officials of the administration during the period studied, Dick Cheney, Condoleezza, Rummy Rumsfeld, Hermann Goering Rumsfeld, Secretary of State Roland Colin Sellout Powell, Deputy Defense Secretary Paul Wolfowitz, and White House Press Secretaries Eric Fleischer and Scott McClellan. Bush led with 259 false statements, 231 about weapons of mass destruction, and 28 about Iraq's ties to al-Qaeda, the study found. That was second only to Powell's 244 false statements about weapons of mass destruction and 10 about Iraq and al-Qaeda. 
The center said the study was based on a database created with public statements over the two years beginning 9-11-2001, information from more than 25 government reports, books, articles, speeches, and interviews. The cumulative effect of these false statements, amplified by thousands of news stories and broadcasts, was massive, with the media co- uh, coverage creating almost impenetrable din for several critical months in the run for the war, the story said. Some journalists, indeed even some entire news organizations, have since acknowledged that their coverage during those pre-war months was far too deferential and uncritical. These mea culpas notwithstanding, much of the wall-to-wall media coverage provided additional independent validation of the Bush administration's lies about Iraq, it said. Liar, liar, your thing is on fire. Biggest name. Fresh talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. B. All right. Then is here Puto. Spilled the beans back when. Who gave it She said that Bin Laden was murdered. Now she must die. The Bush team got together. We gotta shut her up before it's out of hand. She left Dubai when Bush go asked her to run against Bush Sheriff Dooley Pakistan that left her in a pool of blood. Benazir Bhutto, she sounded mighty certain a corporate iron curtain had to make her dead. Something has got to be done about this Bhutto in Pakistan. We gotta take her out before we're out of a boogie man. Let's go for tape up and lighting. For the corporate news. Who's your story will be waiting? Who's trap up on together? And uh, he also had dealings with uh, Omar Sheikh, the man who murdered uh, Osama bin Laden. Benazir Bhutto, the Pakistani mammy, she got the Bushko whammy and that made her dead. Benazir Bhutto, the Pakistani mammy, she got the Bushko whammy and uh, died. And she's dead. It's at 11.32 at 5.60 WQ. And we got the jerk show coming up at 2. Very professional. Make no mistake about that. Well, we're working on it. He's described to be professional. Well, it wasn't his fault that the board was ungaposhkied. No, that was not. So I have a, um, well, it's his fault that he does the stats from the heat game. That's unconscionable, unacceptable. Uh, I got this uh, email on MySpace from a guy named Henry. Hank. Uh. Not that Hank. (laughs) Not him. And mm-hmm. who has no profile? He just, I guess, maybe he put his thing on there so we could communicate with me. And uh, me and Tom, you know. Yeah. Space Tom. It says, Heath Ledger's death amidst lots of various pills, drugs strewn about in the vicinity of the body was not an apparent suicide. The pills were merely a widespread coincidence, similar to when someone is caught in a continuing, ongoing pattern of either criminal or sinful activity. They claim the accusations are just a widespread coincidence. Kind of like those child molesting priests, I guess. Then he says, P.S., when are the Neil sounds on the website going to be updated with all the newer sounds, more uh, guilty, etc.? Like, like, uh, right. We should take those sounds down and post something there, because I people keep bugging me about that. Should never have done it in the first place. I don't even know what's on there. Sound effects from the ancient times. It was, uh, I, I guess, it was a good idea. The only problem is uh, most of that stuff is either copy written or people trying to sell it for money. Yeah. And you mean so, like, who the hell's trying to sell that? That's all uh, chicken egg. 
Right. Well, I mean, Believe the bits. Me, no see, see, here's the me. thing: you Not can't you can't be nice to Not anybody. For a long time. You put a few things on there for free that you can, and then all all that it generated was. Oh, I know. Ongoing recycling. When are you going to put this on there? When are you going to put that right, on there? That, and then right. I have to answer back, we can't because that's not ours. We can't because that's not ours. We can't. Somebody's trying to sell that. We can't. And I'm just, I'm tired of doing that. Shouldn't that that's like uh, people from, well, come on, you'll play the uh, I-95 song, you know. And by the way, you also have those things about what Neil is reading now. Well, Neil's not reading any more books, so I haven't updated that in what, about a year, two years? I don't know. Nobody reads books anyway, so it's just there, okay? Take it or leave it. The price is right. No charge. It's free. Well, I was driving down I-95 the other night. Yeah. In fact, speaking of uh, things being copyrighted, remember we got the suit at IOD from this guy? Because mm-hmm. we put this song. Right. I'm August the one made it famous. And right. uh, we put it on our Best of Neil CD, and they sued the station for it, and they finally right. had to settle and pay him right. you know, a couple of bucks, whatever it was. Remember that? Right, of course. What the hell was that guy's name? August Campbell. August Campbell in the uh, Starlight, the uh, Moonlight, uh, Spur of the Moment band. band. Spur of the Moment band. Very good. Wow. What a memory. Well, I'm supposed to know these things. Well, you're supposed to know about Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Heath Ledger, too. I'm no, they don't have to do with this radio show, I mean, necessarily. First, Benazir Bhutto, then Suzanne Plachette, and now Heath Ledger. Boy, what, what are we going to do now? All this death stuff. Uh, that's why we got to get rid of this poll. Doug Thompson. See, that's the big uh, joke that the Lord plays on us, see? Oh, the good Lord, you know, we're born, what a blessing we are. And then, of course, oh, guess what, you're all going to die. Well, surprise, how come the good Lord didn't make us like stupid man and make us all invulnerable to disease and uh, bullets and, you know what I'm saying? That wouldn't have been funny. Oh, yeah, he's a sadist, your God. This God that invented by the Jews and then the Goyim picked up on it, he's a sadist. How much pain can he inflict? Doug Thompson wants to know, speaking of pain, why is Bush still president? Good question, Dougie. They're going to come and get you, Doug. I'm telling you right now, I'd be really, really laying low under the windows. Because if you're sitting there at window level, bada-bing. A new study documents hundreds of false statements, which I just read, by President Bush and his administration in the days leading up to the Iraq War. Each carefully crafted lie was designed to bolster Bush's case for the invasion of Iraq. The news is not that Bush lied. Everybody with a functioning brain knows the President of the U.S. is a serial liar. The news is not that someone managed to document the hundreds of falsehoods used to justify an illegal and immoral war. Lies, when examined closely, fail the smell test. Ooh. Sadly, the real news is that Bush continues to serve as president, continues to lie at will, and nobody in a position to do anything about it will lift a finger to serve the needs of the USA. Eh? If we can tear ourselves away from the breathless news of the drug-induced death of another celebrity or the name-calling of the presidential primary season, we need to concentrate on the reality of Americans continuing to die for a war based on hundreds, if not thousands, of lies. Breathless news of the drug-induced death of another celebrity. I can't imagine who he's talking about. Can you? No. George W. Bush is a murderer, he says. There is no diplomatic way to put it. He lied to fulfill his plans to invade Iraq at any cost. He and his administration manufactured a mountain of lies about phony weapons of mass destruction, a broke-ass mountain, fantasy mobile chemical plants, and a non-existent link between Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden to launch the most expensive war in American history, sending thousands of Americans to their death and crippling the U.S. economy. He abused and continues to abuse the power of his orifice, shredded the Constitution, approved illegal wiretaps and surveillance of Americans, sanctioned torture of prisoners, authorized abuse of civil and individual rights, and put together the most corrupt presidential administration of modern times. Yet he is still president. Why? Why doesn't the collective power of Congress, Democrat and Republican, rise up in righteous indignation? Why doesn't the House impeach this criminal and Senate try to throw him and his cabal out of office? 
Speaker of House Nancy Pelosi took impeachment off the table as soon as Democrats took over control of Congress in the 2006 midterm elections. Why? Whose palms got greased? What deals were cut? The people spoke, and the Democrats ignored the tide of political opinion. Why? The standard line of Pelosi's office is that the nation cannot, in a time of war, endure the trauma of presidential impeachment. So she and her fellow co-conspirators leave America at risk every day that Bush stays in office. Bush is a liar. This is a proven fact. Bush is a criminal. That's been established. Bush is a mass murderer. When he sent Americans to die in a war based on lies, he crossed that line as well. Congress, under the Democrats, has failed to serve the will of the American people. Every day they allow George W. Bush to remain in office is another day that the future of America remains in doubt. That's what Doug Thompson says. He says it well with a big, big pair of smelly balls, and that's old Dougie for you. 898 in the poll, by the way. Maybe if I click it, it'll be 900. We can get rid of it. Oh, I pray. 902, all right. So after the break, I can read you the final result of this. All right. This crappy, uh, well, you know, we're, we're running short on poll ideas, man. It's just uh, we've been on for 85,000 years. How long have we been doing the polls? Eric told us that one day, but I forget. Yeah, I forget. Long time. Eight years? There are boots. See, what I'm trying to Nine. recall is when we were down on the second floor, there, the first uh, month or two at QAM before they finally uh, put together that crappy studio, I mean, that mm-hmm. great studio, the Neil Rogers studio, which is hoard by everybody in the building to play ball games. Um, when we were down there, did we, we didn't have this uh, deal going on, did we? I think it started when we were down there. It did? Yeah. But, you know. I mean, I can look back at the history and see uh, what the deal was. Okay, 902. Now, let's see. Which of these would you least love? The new pool is up there. Least like to live in, uh, oh, Detroit. Oh, I've already tried that. <laughs> no way, Jose. Not for me. Woo, Detroit. You told me you've never been to Detroit, right? That is correct. Don't. I won't. Don't. You don't want to go there. It is a festering sewer. It used to be a pretty exciting place back in the days of Motown. But and I can remember driving on the uh, Edsel Ford Expressway in the John Lodge, driving uh, 90 miles an hour, and the cops would go by me going 100. Speed limit was 70, and you'd go 90, and they'd go zooming on by. Here's the final result of that horseball poll that we took the first one. 902 on the votes. Considering your family genetics and the state of your health, how long do you honestly think you'll live? Into my 80s, 272. Into my 70s, 260. Into my 90s, 107. Into my 60s, 78. I made it. I should have died already, 63. I'm dying over here. 100 or beyond 51. I might go any day now, 44. Into my 50s, 27, with uh, very little optimism, very little hope.
bothering on about we need change when she's already corporate pocket change Clinton's wife big deal chillery swillery corporate friendly hole chillery swillery we play to the right Good old sweatery, man. She's uh, the guy. 11.46, 14 till noon at QM. we got the jerks coming up at 2 o'clock who will give you all the blowdown on the uh, latest heat uh, adventures and misadventures. What about the Panthers? Panthers won a game last night right there in the Mac Arena. Did you go, George? No. 34 votes on the new poll, which is up now. Which of these most populous U.S. metropolitan areas, excluding South Florida, of course, would you least want to live in? This I, I'm beginning to realize this is a, um, it's a, it's a lopsided poll. Detroit, 18. I mean, nobody's going to come close to Detroit. Anybody who even knows anything about Detroit, much less has lived there like I did, is going to say, oh, no, no, th- look at that. The Dow's down 188. Oh, and the S&P is down and uh, down, down, down. Down 193, the industrial average. How do you like that? And uh, fair value was Rick Riley's hairpiece. He should have had one. Maybe he had his hairpiece on, too. Uh... Yeah, there's a picture of, uh, what's his name, who died? Heath Ledger. Keith? I'll give him a five. Five and a half, five point six, on a Richter scale. Oh, he was one of the most handsome and talented. Uh, yeah, right. Okay, whatever you say. Just uh, not not as handsome or talented as Leo, of course. Thirty-four votes. Detroit eighteen. New York five. Now I'm, I, I have a feeling that may be from people who have encountered some rude New Yorkers in South Florida and thinking that's what New York is all about. Uh, I don't know. Of course, Rudy Giuliani closed all the good stuff on Times Square, all the porn down. So, you know, when you make the city sterile like that, right? Right. Like Disneyland North. Who the hell wants to do that? Or Disney World. Or Disney North. Rudy Giuliani, my ass. Hypocrite. Washington, D.C., 3. Philadelphia, 2. Dallas, Fort Worth, 2. And San Francisco, Oakland, 1. Atlanta, 1. Chicago, 1. L.A., 1. No votes for Seattle, Phoenix, Boston, or Houston. And I can I can uh, understand that. Who the hell wouldn't want to live in Boston? Man. Even just for the food. Manja, manja, baby. Detroit's got 22 votes and pulling away. Now, if there are probably going to be some people thinking it's a racial thing, well, I don't know. There's a lot of, a lot of cities that have had large black population that are like at the bottom. And let, let's see. Boston's got a lot of dark folks, like in Roxbury, you know. I don't think yeah. it's just that. I think it's the nature of what the city has become. Like a gigantic, enormous, festering slum. Like an outdoor sewer. That's Detroit. It's unfortunate. Maureen Dowd's got a column today. You want to hear it or not? Yeah, I do. Or we could take some calls. Hey! <laughs> Doron. He's a uh, fine young man looking for a fine young lady. Uh-huh. Don't go near it, okay? Don't go anywhere near it. It's a walking, talking disease. If Bill Clinton has to trash his legacy to protect his legacy, so be it, Maureen said. The headline is two against one. If he has to put a dagger through the heart of hope to give Hillary hope, so be it. If he has to preside in this state as the former first black president stopping the would-be first black president, so be it. The Clintons are the two-headed monsters the New York Post dubbed the tag team that plot out wins in New Hampshire and Nevada, always go where they need to go no matter the collateral damage, even if the damage is to themselves and their party. Bill's transition from elder statesman, leader of his party, and bipartisan ambassador to ward healer and hatchet man has been seamless and seamy. After Bill's success trolling the casinos on the Vegas Strip, Hillary handed off South Carolina and flew to California and other Super Tuesday states. The big dog relished playing the candidate again. 
wearing a technicolor orange tie and sweeping across the state with the mute Chelsea. He tried to convey the impression that they were running against the man, and with classic Clintonian self-pity, grumbled that Barack Obama had all the advantages. When he was asked yesterday if he'd feel bad standing in the way of the first black president, he said, No, I'm not standing in his way. He said, I think Hillary would be a better president, who's ready to do the job on the first day. He added, No one has the right to be president, including Hillary. Keep in mind, in the last two primaries, we ran as an underdog. He re rewrote the fact, saying that no one thought she could win in New Hampshire, even though she originally had had a substantial lead. He said of Obama, I hope I get a chance to vote for him someday. And that day, of course, would be after Hillary's eight years. It's her turn now because Bill owes her. I think it would be just as much a change, and some people think more, to have a first woman president as to have the first African-American pre uh, American president, he said. Bad Bill had been roughing up Obama so much that Representative James Clyburn of South Carolina suggested that he might want to chill. On a conference call with reporters yesterday, the former Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle, a national co-chairman of the Obama campaign, tut-tutted that the incredible distortions of the political beast were not keeping with the image of a former president. Jonathan Alter reported in Newsweek that Senator Ted Kennedy and Ram Emanuel, the Illinois congressman and former Clinton aide, have heatedly told Bill that he needs to change his tone and stop attacking Senator Obama. In the Myrtle Beach debate Monday night, Obama was fed up with being double-teamed by the Clintons. He finally used attack lines that a strategist had urged him to use against Hillary for months. It was as though all the emails were backed up, said one. When Hillary tried once more to take Obama's remarks about Ronald Reagan out of context, making it seem as though Obama had praised Reagan's policies, he turned sarcastic about getting two distortionists for the price of one. I can't tell who I'm running against sometimes, he snapped at Hillary, obviously entrapped and psyched out by the Clinton duo. On a conference call with reporters yesterday morning, Obama didn't back off from his more aggressive if defensive stance. The Clintons, he said, spent the last month attacking me in ways that are not accurate. At some point, it's important for me to answer. Recalling that Hillary had called mixing it up for the fun part of politics, he said, I don't think it's the fun part to fudge the truth. In other words, the Clintons are fudge-packing. I see. Bill has merged with his wife totally now, talking about we and us. I never did anything major without discussing it without her, he told a crowd here. We've been having this conversation since we first met in 1971, and I don't think we'll stop now. He suggested his first lad that I can help sell the domestic program. It's odd that the first woman with a shot at becoming president is so openly dependent on her husband to drag her over the finish line. She handed over South Carolina to him, knowing that her support here is largely derivative. At the Greenville event, Bill brought up Obama's joking reference to him in the debate about how Obama would have to see whether Bill was a good dancer before deciding whether he was the first black president. Bill naturally turned it into a competition. I'd be willing to engage in a dancing competition with him, even though he's much younger and thinner than I am, he said. If I'm going to get in with one of these brother contests yet, at least I should be entitled to an age allowance. He said, I kind of like seeing Barack and Hillary fighting. How great is this, he said. Neither of them has to be a little wind-up doll who's supposed to behave in a certain way. They're real people, flesh-and-blood people. They have differences. And if he has anything to say about it, and he will, they'll be fighting till the last dog dies, says Maureen, the queen. All right. And believe me, she's seen much mean. Well, look at Detroit just kicking big, serious, nasty ass. Wow. Now, maybe Detroit's made a big comeback, and it's a lovely, beautiful uh, place. Oh. You know? <laughs> I don't think so. I told you several years ago, you know that business about you can't go back? Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. You can't. Seven years ago on vacation, I decided I'd spend a few days in Detroit. You know, maybe go to a, it was in the summertime, go to a Tiger game or something, go and eat in some of my favorite restaurants, all of which are gone, by the way. Okay. They're all gone. You know how that is. You go back to somewhere where sure. you loved uh, the Chintiki in Detroit and the, uh, uh, I can't remember all the other ones, London Chop House. They're all gone. They're all closed down. Long since gone. And once they're gone, they're gone. 
And I uh, was there for uh, one evening, and I drove around, and I looked for those restaurants, and I looked at uh, what the city had uh, was still was, and I got on a plane the next day and went someplace else. I went far away. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. Detroit, 3028. Uh, Which uh, metropolitan area do you least want to live in? New York, 9. Atlanta, 4. Washington, D.C., 4. L.A., 4. Philadelphia, 3. Dallas, Fort Worth, 3. Frisco, Oakland, 2. Houston, 2. Chicago, 2. Phoenix, 1. Seattle and Boston, none. I've never been in Seattle, but aren't you always telling me what a great place it is? I've been there once, and it was fine. Oh, everybody tells me Seattle is great. You're just going to love Seattle. I've never been there. It's, it's far. Yeah. Very far. Yes, it is. In fact, maybe if I was going to go to Seattle, rather I'd go to Vancouver, eh? I'd go to BC. Yeah, there you go. I know you'd rather probably go to Vancouver. You know it. Smoke a few big fat ones right out there on the street, just like That's I do right. here, eh? Nobody pays any attention. You're just having a good time. You can The aroma... Is in the air. You can sniff it. You can smell it. You can swoon from it. It's like when you go to Woodbine, the aroma's in the air. It's not that aroma, though. It's uh, <laughs> it's a different kind of aroma. But believe me, it will put you in a coma. Wow. Smelly old people. Now, there's something. we got to come up with a poll someday where we... That'll be one of the choices. Smelly old people. All right. I'm not talking about people who smell just because they have bad hygiene or... Well, yeah, that's part of it. Talking about people who smell just because it's part of their existence, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Smelly old people. Probably some people think I'm a smelly old guy. Maybe some of the people at Woodbine. Oh my God, there's that smelly old faggot again. I hey, you never you know. know. What? I don't care. Just give me a good machine, man. That's all I care about. Maybe I'll um, venture out this afternoon at two o'clock for Woodbine Wednesday. The sun is shining. Yeah. The sun is shining. Uh, let me take a look and see what the temperature is. Yesterday it was like about thirty. And today. Oh, no, it's minus 7. Now, you uh, do the extrapolation on that. Not good. It's a lot colder than it was yesterday. And if it's windy again, it's going to be really not so good. Mm. That's about like 20. 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Plus 20. Right. This is Brady Quinn. Whenever I shave my balls, I listen to the Neil Rogers 12 to 1 hour. Just in case. What? I had that queued up. Well, I had a uh, nature was calling there during that last break. Oh, I see. And it came at a very inopportune time. I made it just back in time because I had that Mickey and Eisner thing queued up. Good, good. Oh, we want to hear it. No. 
So if it sounds like I'm a little bit out of breath, I just came racing back in from just a few feet away, you know. But nevertheless, um, Santana from Appalata. Uh, <laughs> Sorry? Appalata. I love that. Alapata. <laughs> you know, I think today is the day that I just flip out right over the edge. I don't know why. No, no special reason. Maybe just the aging process. Because yeah. generally speaking, everything is just fine as GR wine, you know. But I just had that uh, Joyce, you know, had to take care of Joyce urgently. And I sat here during the break, and I'm thinking, what? How do I do this? What do I do now? And of course, I could have just uh, see if I had any brains, which I don't. They're they're turned to jello. I would have put a long bit on there in the beginning, and you know me, I can handle that no problem at all. But just the Obama thing was long enough. A minute twenty-one. Sportscaster Hank Goldberg, this is from the um, Joan Fleischman column, which I said I had seen, but I, I better read it because otherwise Santana will be feel upset. The humper who left WQM last month after refusing a new contract with a deep pay cut is increasing his ESPN workload. On Saturday, he'll do analysis for the telecast of Sunshine Millions at Gulfstream. On Sunday, the Hammer heads to Phoenix to do Super Bowl week coverage, daily TV features, plus an hour-day show for ESPN Radio. He'll also appear on Sports Center on Super Bowl Sunday. My annual attempt to pick the winner, he says. Goldberg, 67, admits he's a Giants fan, attending games as a kid while his father, High, covered the team for the Newark Evening News. I'm not trying to let that cloud my judgment, he said. I'm trying not to let it cloud his judgment. His prediction, I'll give you a hint, he says, there's New England that wins games, and there's New England that doesn't win by enough to satisfy the betters. I'm picking from Las Vegas where points matter, not who wins or loses. So I think uh, the spread was, what, 14, Chris? He's not here. I think you both had the same idea during that commercial break. Oh, no! Oh, it's Joyce time. Let us rejoice, baby. Right. I can play some sound effects. Birds of a feather. What, you know. Yeah. Wow. I feel like I want to go back in that room now and, like, uh, deodorize it. Get some uh, Glade air freshener, you know? Some Febreze? No, not Febreze. Between you. Is Febreze? I, I thought Febreze had to do with, like, clothes or something. They got it. Uh, they got Febreze air freshener, too. Febreze candles. I got one in here in the studio just in case. I like candles. Chris the is, is I'm always afraid back. that I'm going to, like, not put them out and burn the place down. I might just have to go in there and rejoice again. I think, you know something, I think, now th- this is a little, I don't know if it's gross or not, but it's just, uh, it's interesting in kind of a sick way, but you know me. Mm-hmm, sick. Uh, the fact, yeah, the, mentally and physically, the fact that I went yesterday with the entire day without any, eating any garbage, any uh, refined carbs, and my blood sugar is a lot better today. Generally, when it's out of control for like a long time, it takes two days to get it really back where I want it to. So today is like a stepping stone, but it's, you know, you can, you can tell the way I sound almost human today, almost. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's what's happening because um, I don't want to talk about yeast because then people are going, oh, gee, Neil's got a yeast infection in his, uh, yeah, right, in his uh, womanhood. But <laughs> we're talking about, no, we're talking about yeast in your system, man. Yeast yes. infections are one of the problems that fat people deal with all the time from high blood sugars and diabetics especially. Yeast, baby, yeast. Oh, gross. And so once you start to the de- de-yeasting de- process, your body gets rid of all sorts of... Um, I'm trying to think of a delicate word. Crap. Yeah, that's the word. I see. Crap. Which is what exactly what happened there, man. And Chris also is probably, he's detoxing right now. No, I'm back. All right, you're back. Are you through with your detox? Because uh-huh. that's what happened to me. I had to make a mad rush into the tea room there and do a quick Joyce detox. But that's part of it. That's a, another thing that God made for us is this, you know, all of this crap. Could have been very easy. We could have just burned off any excess, you know, instead of all this, uh, all these executory activities. And yeah, then, of no course, fun. the FCC couldn't have issued as many fines, though, see? 
If we didn't right. have excretory activities, then nobody on the radio could talk about them, and they couldn't find you for saying uh, crap or whatever, you know. 105 votes, Detroit's got almost half, 46. I guess their Chamber of Commerce, and I'm sure they must have one, every city does. Probably even Penyan, New York, has got a Chamber of Commerce. But the Detroit Chamber of Commerce won't be too happy with this polling. You know what? Hubman Dreard. Too bad. Too freaking bad, man. It's just uh, not, not a place anymore. After they burned the city half down in 67. Here it is. It's uh, 41 years later. 41 years later. Can I impart a little bit of wisdom? Please. It's not, not that I'm smart, because I'm not. Cause right. Look who I work hey, for. But... shut up, everybody. An old person's talking. All right, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what it's all about, right. too. And that is the one thing you learn in life. As the years, you know, if you're lucky enough to make it, like that poll we were taking earlier, lucky enough to make it to be old. And that is that you start thinking about things that happened earlier in your lifetime. And it used to be, you know, think like, oh, well, that happened 10 years ago, and then it was like 20 years ago. And now I'm thinking about the riots in Detroit in 67, and that's 41 years ago. 41 years ago, there are people like, like Chris there sitting there. He's not even 41 years old. Correct. You don't know Detroit when it was a fun place. It was it was not so bad. It was good. Back in the days of Motown. It's enough to make me want to play Motown till two o'clock. Radio was great. Keener thirteen. CKLW. CKLW Motown Sound. WXYZ until Joey got on there and then he destroyed it. He was there when it was uh devolving. <laughs> WXYZ with uh, Lee Allen. And Joel Sebastian was there before he went to CKLW. That was the day of personalities, man. Name me some personalities on South Florida radio right now, besides Footsie. Right now? Yeah. Jason Jackson. I didn't tell you. No, I'm not talking about on this station. I'm talking about uh, music personalities, besides uh, your girlfriend. Oh, they don't have those anymore. There's no such thing, no more. I mean, Ricky Ticky Shaw was about the last thing we had, and he's gone. He's retired. Retire! Yeah, he did the smart thing. Nice going, Rick. I hope you're enjoying every minute of it, man. You deserve it. You earned it. And he's not a Nazi either, at least not with a capital N. Steven Zoon, do I sound like I'm rambling now? That was because I had a breathless moment there, man. I went running, just racing. I thought, well, what do I do? I'll put, I'll put the Mickey and Eisner thing there. I'll stack it up in the uh, DCS. And then if I don't get back in time, and I got back just, just as it was starting. Did you notice that? Yep. Just as he was saying. Darn it, I told you. Like that. That was great. Chopped it right off. Too bad. And people are saying, oh, he's going to play that Mickey Eisner and the uh, penis thing again. Well, I don't want to do that, you know, too much. Too much of that penis thing. Stephen Zunes on CommonDreams.org writes, Obama versus Clinton. Oh, I love this column, man. It's good stuff. Probably anti-Hillary. Right. In determining which of the two leading Democratic candidates would make the most competent and credible commander-in-chief, it's revealing to compare the public statements of U.S. Senator Hillary Clinton and then-Illinois State Senator Barack Obama during October 2002 when Congress voted to authorize the U.S. invasion of Iraq. Former President Bill Clinton, at a recent rally on behalf of his wife, insisted that Senator Clinton and Senator Obama had virtually identical records on the Iraq War and that Obama's claim that he had the judgment to oppose this war from the beginning was the biggest fairy tale I've ever seen. The record from that fateful month, fateful month, however, shows that there were indeed major differences between the two presidential contenders, with Senator Clinton supporting the Bush administration's push for war and its exaggerated claims about Iraq's alleged military prowess, while Obama was opposing U.S. invasion of that oil-rich country and openly challenging the administration's exaggerating claims of an Iraqi threat. 
Though under no obligation as a state senator to make any public statements on foreign policy, Obama took the initiative to speak out against the prospects of war at an anti-war rally in Chicago. Obama believed that Iraq may have been able to develop chemical and biological weapons, and he certainly carried no pretense about the nature of Saddam Hussein's regime, referring to the late Iraqi dictator as brutal and ruthless, and acknowledging that the world and the Iraqi people would be better off without him. At the same time, though, he recognized that Saddam posed no imminent and direct threat to the U.S. or to his neighbors. Furthermore, Obama noted how he recognized that the Iraqi economy is in shambles, that the Iraqi military is a fraction of its former strength, and that in concert with the international community, he can be contained. That same month in Washington, however, Senator Clinton was insisting correctly that Iraq was trying to develop nuclear weapons and that Iraq's possession of biological and chemical weapons was not in doubt and was undisputed. Senator Clinton then went on record insisting that the risk that Saddam Hussein would employ those weapons to launch a surprise attack against the U.S. was enough to justify action by the U.S. to defend itself, specifically by authorizing President Bush to launch an invasion of Iraq at the time and circumstances of his choosing. Even though Obama was right in emphasizing that war was unnecessary and Clinton was wrong, this hasn't stopped the New York senator from accusing him to this day of being soft on Saddam Hussein. Despite Obama having called at that time for continued containment, containment by the international community and the return of U.N. inspectors, Clinton charged in a nationally televised interview on Meet the Press January 14 that his judgment was that at that time in 2002, we didn't need to make any efforts to deal with that threat. In other words, Clinton was trying to make the case that the ongoing international strategy of containment supported by Obama during this period, enforcing sanctions, maintaining the international forces a military deterrent, and returning UN inspectors to Iraq, was not the same as not making any efforts, as was the same as not making any efforts, essentially using the Bush administration argument that refusing to support an invasion of Iraq equal doing nothing. Whether Iraq constituted a threat to U.S. national security was not the only thing that separated Clinton and Obama back in October 2002. In the months leading up to the Senate vote, former State Department intelligence officials, European and Middle Eastern allies, scholars specializing in the region, and others argued that a U.S. invasion would likely result in a bloody insurgency, a rise in Islamist extremism and terrorism, increased sectarian and ethnic conflict, and related problems. Despite this, Senator Clinton insisted that her voting to authorize the invasion was in the best interests of our nation. Meanwhile, back in Chicago, Obama was observing how even a successful war against Iraq will require a U.S. occupation of undetermined length at undetermined cost with undetermined consequences. He also recognized that an invasion of Iraq without a clear rationale and without strong international support will only fan the flames of the Middle East and encourage the worst rather than the best impulses of the Arab world and strengthen the recruitment arm of al-Qaeda. In summary, on the most critical political question of the decade, a freshman state senator from Illinois was able to figure out what an experienced member of the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee could not, that Saddam Hussein was no longer a threat and that an invasion of Iraq would harm America's national security interests. Over the next few weeks, Democratic voters will have an opportunity to decide which of these two leading candidates has the best judgment to lead this country during this next critical period. Amen. Biggest names. The best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The Sports Leader. Neil Rogers. Ah. And now here's Jay Leno. Thank you. Great to be back. Hey, how about that Iowa caucus, huh? Did you read about this? It's true. Yeah, did you hear what Hillary Clinton said? Yeah, me too. <laughs> hey, how about that Mitt Romney fella, huh? Yeah. And uh, while all this campaign is going on, George Bush is still the president. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, how about all this craziness going on in Pakistan? Oh, oh is that scary or what? <laughs> oh, boy. How much time we got left? Really? Okay, then it's time for jaywalking. First, I'll walk over here. And I'll walk back over here. Alrighty, that was jaywalking. Now what? Oh, I know, it's time for headlines, ladies and gentlemen. These are actual headlines from actual newspapers. Oh, check this one out from the USA Today sports section. It says, Patriots Perfect. 
So, uh, congratulations to them, I guess. Hey, after the break, uh, we'll be back with a very entertaining man, very funny guy, Mike Huckabee. Mike Huckabee, ladies and gentlemen. So, stick around. You know, you know what they ought to do instead of uh, this desperado what crap that they're putting on? They ought to uh, show a rerun. They ought to just take them off the air. All okay. these clowns, and they ought to put reruns right. of the old Tonight Show back when it was funny, when Jack Parr okay. was on and Steve Allen. Long before Carson, by the way. Long before Carson. I'm sure they have the old kinescope or whatever, right? I'm yeah, sure they get sure. much bigger numbers. But nevertheless, I mean, what the hell do I know? I mean, I, I thought that Katie Kirk was going to be a flop on CBS. Oh, she was? Oh. <laughs> what do you know? What the hell could I possibly know? I thought that Rush would be on for about five minutes on those um, uh, football broadcasts. Oh, he was? Until he started doing his racist crap? Uh-huh. Wall Street got off to another volatile start today. I don't want to dwell on it because it's very depressing. We want to be uplifting and upbeat. That's why we read all the depressing news from around the world. Beat up. That's what we get here. We get beat up. Beat up by the Beasleys and fat-ass Jolly Joe. That's all right. The checks keep coming. Keep them coming, Joe. Got a long way to go, I'm sure. 151 point the Dow is down. Oh, boy, that means probably the S&P is way down, too, if they flip that thing up there on top. Flip your lid, will you? S&P is down 22, and the NASDAQ is down almost 60 points. Wow. Holy crap, rat man. That's what I just did a little while ago. It was holy. It smelled unholy, but it was holy. Investors remain unsettled about the possibility, although I did during the break. I went in there and checked in the room. The wallpaper hasn't peeled off the wall. Okay, good. It's a good sign. Investors remain unsettled about the possibility of a recession with the three main stock indexes lingering in red a day after the Federal Reserve surprised investors and stemmed the sell-off with an aggressive unscheduled interest rate cut. I think there was a subtle message involved in that cut. The sky is falling. After diving nearly 250 points in the opening minutes, the Dow came back to nearly even in the first hour, then fell back again. Well, I just got through telling you what it was, so I don't need to read these. Technology stocks took a harder hit after Motorola and Apple announced disappointing earnings forecast, sending the tech-heavy Nasdaq composite down 1.6%. It's down, baby. The declines on Wall Street came after another Steve, and, and you know that's the only reason I regret. Well, he wouldn't call in anyway. You know that jackass. Oh, S and P guy. The S and P is mm-hmm. up there. Yeah, up your uh, butt. That's where the S and P is. Shoe and uh, <laughs> the S stands for shoe, and I'll let you guess what the P stands for. Okay, up your Blackham. The declines on Wall Street came after another steep sell-off in European stock markets, which were disappointed after the head of the European Central Bank dampened investors' hopes that the bank would follow the Fed's lead in cutting interest rates. He said, Nicht Vermeer, or something like that. I don't know what he said. How do you like that? Uh-huh. So you, here comes the bunny, and there goes your money. I still think you ought to go to the dog track with Chris. It would be fun. Let's, uh, the, the way things are going, we might wind up doing a remote there or something. Why not? That would be great. Right. Although that's not they see the thing with these prayer mutuals that really uh, like Pompano Park, which I only had as a sponsor for like 31 years. Uh, they're not promoting the racing anymore. They're promoting the uh, well. They're not promoting anything. Any of them really? Do we do we have any spots for Mardi Gras? On? We did have for a while, I think. Not for Pompano and Gulf. Well, Gulfstream, you know that because you were out there. Yeah, we have Gulfstream Park. I, now next time you what? I say we have Gulfstream Park, but that's it. Yeah, not Mardi Gras, and certainly not Pompano Park. Well, I, that's because, you know, they've turned on me. It's probably Wally Hennessy's doing, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Hey, Wally, how's it going, eh? Congratulations on number 7,000 again, okay? You ain't no Brad Kramer, I'll tell you that. Let's, I, that'd be a good poll. Who's your favorite harness racing driver of all time? Oh, yeah. Let's change that that's one what, to this. What? Yeah, let's change this to that right now. <laughs> we'll do one day, we'll do who's your favorite jockey. 
Who was your favorite hockey sure. player? There's Matt Sundin. It doesn't really matter who's above us. We, we have to. You know what Matt says? We've got to win I some hockey do. games. We've got to win some hockey games. Come on, speak English, Let's man. do who's your favorite Let's arena football player. What? Favorite arena football player. There you go. That's not bad. Your favorite bowler of all time. Eddie Kowalik's or uh, 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 Dick Weber. Oh, yeah. Or Don Carter. Don Carter was like, now everybody knows Don Carter Lanes. I bet you you've bowled right. Don Carter Lanes. Indeed I have. See, He's there you go. Guy. I beg your pardon? He's a nice guy. Is he alive? Uh, as of about a year and a half ago, he was. You met Don Carter? I used to bowl in a league with him. You, you bowled like in a league with the Don Carter? With the Don Carter. The left-hander with that strange, who, like, shoveled the ball down the lane? Actually, he wasn't bowling, but he was always there because his wife was in the Oh, don't, don't give me this crap. You bowled with Don Yeah, no, Carter. I you forgot, know, no. Because he was always like there, but yeah, he, he didn't actually bowl. Station, man. You're like in a dream world. He he bowled next to Don Carter. That's what he, he bowled in the same game yeah, as Don Carter. But a very Did nice you guy. Speak to him. Yeah, very nice guy. He would always, you know, because the team that his wife was on was like, you know, usually one of the top two teams, top three teams. The team that I was on was a top five or six team, and we always got along really well. So we were like the two youngest teams. So. So you haven't been on the show long enough to know that I bowled in three uh, leagues when I was in Kalamazoo. I was a good bowler. How'd you do? I only bowled in one. What do you mean, how did I do? I did good. I averaged like 167. That's not too bad for not an old bag like me. Did you have a hook? No, I did not have a hook. Was Old left-hander, baby. Don Carter, let me see if we can... Um, catering halls, bowling rooms. Uh, where's the... Uh, wouldn't you think there'd be something on here? You averaged 157? 167. Oh, okay. Whew. I was going to wow. say. I don't feel... Because I was in the 150s. I averaged 150-something. I forget what. But I thought I sucked. I bowled a few 200 games, like 212, 210, you know, like that. I bowled 200 all? once, twice. What do you mean, that's all? Uh, that's all? Better than I could do. Well, what, what the hell does that mean, that's all? I guess Chris What's is really good. What am I, no, I, was, I was pretty good. Uh, what, am I supposed to come on here and say, oh, I had 10 300 games, I had 10 perfect games. What exactly. are you, some kind of a bowling pseudo-intellectual a-hole? No. What? I just like giving you a hard time. He's still alive. He was born in 1926. That means he's uh, 81, maybe 82. I don't, it doesn't say what date. Known as Mr. Bowling, Don Carter was an early professional star and tireless promoter of the sport of bowling. Who's your favorite bowler? That's a good poll. Favorite harness driver? How about uh, Satch Warner for all the Jews? Huh? What about Tommy Wynn for the Detroit people? What about Joe Marsh Jr.? Who is your favorite? Who is the butchest of them all? <coughs> well, actually, there he don't look so bad. Heath Ledger. I give him about a six. Not not a, not not a tenth of a number more. He ain't nothing. No big deal. He's dead now. He's still dead, by the way, Heath Ledger. If you were sleeping in late, if you missed all the breathtaking news, Heath Ledger is dead. There were bottles of pills all over the place and uh, sleeping pills and stuff like painkillers, things like that. And uh, they, they say it's probably not a suicide, though. Just a coincidence that there were all these bottles of pills strewn all over the floor near the bed. And he was, like, face down on the floor naked as a jaybird. What was he doing naked, I wonder? Not much, I guess. Just well, he was in around. bed in a bedroom, was out. he not? What? Wasn't he in bed in a bedroom? No, he was naked on the floor when they found him. I see. Isn't that what the story said? I forget. Am I going to have to go back and look at that again? Cause no, I'm, you don't have to. Quite frankly, I'm really burned out a little bit on the Heath Ledger is dead story. You know, I mean, he's dead, he's dead. He's not, he's not coming back. How do you know? That's right. How, and how come when Anna Nicole was uh, and her kid croaked, although at least her kid looked pretty good, especially uh, earlier on. Until he got real schmutzy looking after doing all them drugs. You see, one thing about families that do drugs as a family, yeah, they kind of like wind up dead as a family. I just thought I right. mentioned that in passing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The family that does drugs together dies together. 
And if you want to die in a really good place to die, Detroit, 63 people say, 63 out of 100 and some, we just put this on there, 145, 42.7% say they'd rather croak than live in Detroit. I don't blame you. It's the best Twelve thirty-one at five sixty WQM. Happy Wednesday to January twenty-third, man. Thank now, you. Now, a week from yesterday, we got the uh, Florida primary. Aren't you all whipped up about that? None of us are voting in it. <laughs> Just uh, you know, well, what's the point? Yeah. I, I'm not saying that for the audience. You all get, y'all get out and vote now. You hear? Y'all get out, y'all. I can't stand people that say y'all. Y'all, y'all come back now. You hear? Oh, I just, it just, it gives me the willies, man. It gives me the creeps. My skin crawls. So I called my uh, terrorist cab driver. I'm going to Woodbine at two o'clock. I could drive out there, but you never know. I might want to come back during rush hour, and I don't want to drive in rush hour. Although I have, Mm -hmm. you know. Oh, you afraid to drive now, Neil? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid to drive, and I'm afraid of Ron Paul, too. And I'm afraid Ron Paul ain't what a lot of you uh, fools think he is, either. Republican presidential candidate Ron Paul joined a Tuesday Washington, D.C. protest of the Supreme Court decision that paved the way for legal abortions in the U.S. He's just another fetus hugger. The anti-war and pro-liberty candidate showed that pro-life positions were also a central part of his political agenda and addressed before the 2008 March for Life. The Constitution protects all life, Paul declared at the rally, as shown in a video posted at the website YouTube. Unless we resolve this tremendous moral dilemma, just think today, a baby one minute before life deserves protection, and one minute after life we still pretend it's called murder. As thousands marched in Washington, the candidate also picked up an endorsement from Norma McCorvey, also known as Jane Roe, from the Roe versus Wade decision. I support Ron Paul for president because we share the same goal, that of overturning Roe v. Wade, McCorvey said in a statement. He's never wavered on the issue of being pro-life and has a voting record to prove it. The endorsement picked up mixed reactions from Paul's supporters, many of whom have been drawn to the candidate because of his positions against the Iraq war and in favor of civil liberties. What's so great about this endorsement? She's an effed up person, wrote a commentator at Ron Paul forums. She's effed up. But other Paul supporters embraced the endorsement head on. We hope this brings a lot of votes from the pro-life movement. Wrote another participant at the same website. He's a fetus hugger, another crazy person, with no chance. Oh, but he says a lot of the things. Yeah, that reminds me. It's like Bill Maher all over again. You know, says a lot of the things you agree with, and he's still a putz and a, and a schmuck, and I can't stand Bill Maher. And a nebbish. And a twerp. If you look up nebbish and or twerp, his picture is uh, opposite both of those words. Okay, turd. Look up little turd. There's Bill Maher. If you drive with uh, if you drive, you're driving with Osama, whatever the hell he was writing. Remember that book? Right. If you're driving, you're driving with Osama. 
as if Osama's the one that's got all these gas prices jacked way up there. What does Osama got to do with that? Osama's got to do with the trillion dollars we peed down the toilet in uh, Iraq, which had nothing to do with uh, Osama or oil prices. Oh, thank you, Mr. President, for those low gas prices. Right. Let's see how the market's doing right now. You know something? I, I enjoy not taking those calls. The Dow is down yeah. 209. <laughs> I enjoy you not taking NASDAQ's those calls. down 68. And Chris enjoys not screening them. And the S&P is down 29. S&P is down, schmuck, for that schmeckle out there. Oh, Neil, it's the S&P guy. The S&P is up. Yeah, up yours, man. You're an idiot. Here comes the buddy, and there goes your money. Hopefully lots of it, sir. I don't want anybody else out there to lose any money. But in your case, I'll make an exception. You and that Schmendrick Dave that was... And maybe David has gone away now. I didn't see any message from him on there. Thank God. Maybe he got the message, or maybe he's just not listening. Maybe the fact we weren't streaming the first hour chased him away. Whatever it was, maybe that was an act of God. Hail God! John Kerry spoke out against the swift voting of Barack Obama yesterday. He sure as hell would have, should have done a better job against the, speaking out against his swift voting, but, of course, uh, he's a mealy mouth, you know. Urging people to confront disgusting lies that continue to percolate about the Illinois senator. As someone who cares about winning this election and changing the country I love, I know it's not enough to complain about a past we can't change when our challenge is to win the future, said Kerry, in a strongly worded email to three million supporters of his 2004 presidential campaign. We must stop the swift voting, stop the push polling, stop the front groups, and stop the email chain smears, he continued, alluding to a false and bigoted email that continues to circulate about Obama as the nation's Chris Hayes, Chris Hayes first detailed in October. The Clinton campaign removed volunteers who were caught forwarding the email, and Clinton surrogate Bob Kerry recently apologized to Obama after repeatedly making related remarks that gave the smears more airtime. All that Muslim crap. Kerry directed his supporters to stand up for a new kind of politics by visiting a new feature on Obama's website that enables people to beat back the smears. The request could also help the Obama campaign harvest tens of thousands of valuable emails from activists and donors involved in the last general election. The unusual plea comes amidst a series of dirty attacks against Obama. This week in South Carolina, CNN reported that misleading push-pulls were bashing Obama and promoting Hillary Clinton. Last week, a phone call was recorded in Nevada that stressed Obama's middle name, Hussein, a tactic that some operatives have used to appeal to bigoted sentiment and falsely suggest that Obama is a Muslim. Barack Hussein Obama. Obama's a Christian, as his campaign is reminding you visitors in a U video released yesterday. While the email doesn't mention any other candidates and coincides with Obama's new strategy of directly confronting distortions by both Clintons, a growing number of Democrats have been speaking out against Bill Clinton's recent remarks, which Obama supporter Senator Dick Durbin likened to swift voting, while more reporters are scrutinizing the former president's claims. Yesterday, ABC News' Jake Tapper reported that Bill Clinton had been spreading demonstrably false information, while Chicago Tribune columnist Eric Zorn provided a rare conclusion for the political press. He said, Bill and Hillary Clinton have lied brazenly about Obama's recent statements about Ronald Reagan. The swift voting shows no signs of abating, but Obama's betting that many of John Kerry's supporters learned from the mistakes of 2004. Another stolen election in Ohio, boy, but, you know, don't confuse us with that. What's that got to do with, uh, what's his name that just croaked? Heath Ledger. Right? Right. And broke-ass broke mounting. Not anymore. Oh, you've got to watch it again. Now that he died, you've got to watch it again. What, what difference does it make whether he's dead or alive? I mean, Basil Rathbone. He, he died for that movie. He died to put that on there for you. He died for you, like Jesus. Was it a gay cause? That's right. Maybe, maybe Al Pacino will die for uh, doing that movie, Cruising. He ought to. Oh. Talk about ugly stereotypes. Sure. Talk about grotesque and unacceptable. And, 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 and by the way, the moral of the story is all you got to do is, you know, if you hang out in the scene a little bit, you'll, you'll grow to like it. <laughs> Isn't that the moral of the story? 
I guess so. That's the immoral of the story, right? Yeah. I've seen. I've seen it. I've seen a few things in my time. Yeah, I already called my lesbianese a terrorist cab driver, and I said, pick me up at 2, and we'll uh, head off to Woodbine. I'm going to win uh, I'm going to win the crackpot jackpot. I think I'll play the um the uh one with the 7 million jackpot. What do they call that? It's uh I don't know. Whatever they call it. You got no chance. It's like playing the lottery, but at least at least there's an upside, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if you're going to lose your money, you might as well you might as well lose it having a chance to make something big, even though you even though the odds are tremendously stacked against you. Mega mega bucks, that's what it's called. Mega bucks and played by schmucks with uh, no luck. 170 on the poll about which metropolitan area would you least like to live in. They have to drag you kicking and screaming. Detroit, 80. New York, 30. Those Between those two, it's like 65% almost. Would you want to live in New York? Too many people, man. If I had the money. And, and too expensive, yeah. Well, somebody finally, some smartass finally voted for Boston. It's got one. What the hell? Why would you not want to live in Boston, even though the weather sucks? Mm. But why wouldn't you want to live there? Detroit 80, New York 30, Houston 12, Dallas 4, where probably too many Catholic priests in Boston. That's part of that problem, you know? I love it. Or maybe it's some right-wing jackass. You know, they're too liberal there, which they're really not. You know, that's really uh, one of the most bizarre places. All the blue laws they've had there and all the closing sure. of the uh, strip clubs and all the... Uh, and, uh, What's yeah, up with that? Every, everything is abandoned in Boston, but in the meantime, all the liberals like the Kennedys are there. Who the hell knows? They can't figure it out. Maybe the priests have something to do with that. Detroit, 80, New York, 30, Houston, 12, Dallas-Fort Worth, 9, L.A., 9, Philadelphia, 7, Frisco-Oakland, 6, Atlanta, 6, Washington, D.C., 6, Phoenix, 3, Chicago, 3, Seattle, 2, and Boston finally had one out of 174 vote. So if you want to look at the best cities, you go from the bottom on up, like uh, Boston, Seattle, Chicago, Phoenix. What, what's the big Simmons with Phoenix besides they got the Super Bowl, huh? Well, why the hell would anybody want to go there? I don't know. Maybe they like the cactuses, because any place there's a lot of cactuses, there's a lot Maybe of... Maybe they like the dry. Miami has the Dolphins, still the worst football team. The way they played this season... Made everybody scream. It seems to me that losing has always been their goal. And every game they play in should be called the Super Bowl. And they're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins number. How many teams in the league? 32. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. If you're their fan, you'll sing the blues. The Dolphins had Cam Cameron, and one thing that I learned, he had the fans all wishing that Nick Saban would return. If you think he's a winner, then you have lost your mind. The next thing he'll be coaching is the unemployment line, and they're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number. How many teams in the league? 32. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, there's something you scrape off your shoes. The Dolphins have John Beck, our rookie quarterback. Boy. 
If you think he's the answer, you must be smoking crack. You know they could have gotten someone good like Brady Quinn. The way they waste their draft picks, it's nothing but a sin. And they're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number. How many teams in the league? 82. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins. Their talent scouts don't have a clue. The Dolphin games are boring when they're on the radio. And everyone was put to sleep by Jimmy Cephalo. Yes. When he is calling play-by-play, it's the same old tune. And just so Mandich had a job on Sunday afternoons. And they're the right. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins number. How many teams in the league? Uh, Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, I hear the fans begin to snooze. Isinga owns the Dolphins, he's hired Bill Parcells. And I don't have to tell you the way the tuna smells. They say he'll solve their problems, I wish him lots of luck. No matter what he tries to do, the team will always suck. And they're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number, oh what the hell, 32. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, now they're through. Absolutely. Okay, 1301 at 560 WQM. The sun is shining, man. The birds are dropping big loads on my patio. What more? What, what's not to like, right? Right. My blood sugar is uh, not all that bad. Still got a way to go, but it's a lot better than it was yesterday at this time. Wow. How the hell did I do that show yesterday? Uh, I don't know. Easy? Easily? See, you don't understand not being diabetic, and for your sake, I hope you never are. But when you have high blood sugar, man, you have no energy. It, like, just saps your strength. Yeah. When you have diabetes, I imagine, and you just you, you just have no energy to do anything. Tens of thousands of Palestinians though have energy on foot and on donkey carts. They poured into Egypt from Gaza today, after masked gunmen used landmines to blast down a seven-mile barrier dividing the border town of Rafah. The border breach was a dramatic protest against the closure of the impoverished Palestinian territory imposed last week by Israel. Oi! Jubilant men and women crossed unhindered by border controls over toppled. Um, the toppled corrugated metal along sections of the barrier carrying goats, chickens, and crates of Coca-Cola. All right. <laughs> All right. They were carrying goats, chickens, and crates of Coca-Cola. Well, what what back, would you take? Some brought back TVs, car tires, and cigarettes. One man even brought, bought a motorcycle. Vendors sold soft drinks and baked goods to the crowds. I sure hope that it was all halal. They were stocking up on goods made scarce by the Israeli blockade, and within hours, shops on the Egyptian side of Rafah had run out of stock. The border friends had divided the Rafah into two halves, one on the Egyptian side, one in southern Gaza. Ibrahim Abu Taha, 45, a Palestinian father of seven, was in the Egyptian section of Rafah with his two brothers and 185 bucks in his pocket. We want to buy food, we want to buy rice and sugar, milk and wheat, and some cheese, he said, adding that he would also buy cheap Egyptian cigarettes. Faggots. Abu Taha said he could get the basic foods in Gaza, but at three times the cost. Uh. 
Police from the yeah, you know, I just got to tell you this, and I'll get back to this. Yeah. There is nothing. Well, I mean, there are things more insulting, but generally speaking, this happened to me a couple of days ago. There are a lot of homeless people here. I've told you that before, and especially in the wintertime, it's really depressing. Mm-hmm. But the ones that really bug me are the panhandlers, you know. Spare some change, mister? Spare, you know. Of course. There is nothing worse than having some guy puffing on a faggot asking you for change. Right. Now, do you know how much it costs for a pack of cigarettes here? $100. 10 bucks. Yeah. Uh, I guess he could always say he bummed the cigarette off some other deadbeat, you know, or he uh, found a butt on the, on the ground, you know, like that. But that'd be a lie. Because if you gave him change, he'd, you know, two things that they want to buy is a bottle and the uh, cigarettes. Am I right? Yep. Police from the militant Islamic group Hamas, which controls Gaza, directed the traffic. Egyptian border guards took no action imposing no border controls for those who crossed. Freedom is good. We need no border after today, said unemployed 29-year-old Mohammed Abu Ghazal. Egyptian President Mubarak, who is a real serious crook, told reporters in Cairo his border guards originally had forced the Gazans back on Tuesday, but today a great number of them came back because the Palestinians in Gaza are starving due to the Israeli siege, he said. No starvation has been reported in Gaza, but many of the 1.5 million residents have faced critical shortages of, of electricity, fuel, and other supplies over the months because Gaza has been virtually sealed since Hamas controlled the territory by force in June. I told them to let them come in and eat and buy food and then return them later as long as they were not carrying weapons, Mubarak said. Egypt has largely kept its border with Gaza closed since Hamas takeover made concerns of a spillover of Hamas-style militancy into Egypt, but the government's under public pressure at home to help the impoverished Gazans. Well, good. They've been taking back donkeys and cigarettes and goats and Coca-Cola. Yeah. All right. Faggots and Coke, baby. What more could you want? Well, I could think of something. Yeah, I know something. Donkey ass. Not donkey. 203 votes on the poll. Oh, there's that uh, Schmendy. The Forest Python, after you. The all-new American Gladiators. Oh, my God. What's the world come to, you know? Well, it's not any different than it ever has been before. We just have more technology than they used to, like, thousands of years ago. That's basically Mm -hmm. all, you know, different, different style of dress, more technology. Other than that, it's still the same crap. Still the same fairy tales and the same hate and the same killing and the same bloodshed. We're just better at it, the killing, that is. Oh, yeah. We just have so many uh, more good weapons now. 203 votes on the pool. I'm just going to give you the top three. Which of these most populous U.S. metropolitan areas outside of South Florida would you least want to live in? Least. Detroit, 91. Boy, they're in a class by themselves. Thank God. New York, 35. Houston, 13. L.A., 12. Boston still only got one vote out of more than 200 votes. And Chris wants to apologize for that earlier really crappy uh, poll about uh, how long do you think you're going to live. And, I don't know. Was it yeah, just me or was that really a horrible poll? Ah, whatever. Was it just me or was that a really bad poll, Charlie B? Bad. Not as bad as your favorite sandwich filling. And would you ever donate one of your kidneys? I bet you the audience thinks I'm making that up. Would you ever donate one of your kidneys? I mean, what kind of a poll is that? That, that, that's even worse than uh, almost as bad as uh, Tootsie there. Oh, and by the way, Footsie Tootsie ain't selling the two-for-one deals anymore on his website. Dave Lamont is doing it now, Mr. Morning News Guy. And he's got stuff from like three weeks ago. And Stu Gotts has got like 91 from last week, from last Thursday out of 100. He's got 91 left. So we'll see how our thing goes tomorrow. But that, that, when you start with 100 and a week later you've got 91 left, what does that mean? I don't know. 
means either you, you have me. no audience or you've got a really crappy place you're peddling or both. We did the one about the passport, right? I mean, that was pretty desperate. I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to start going back through the history. I'm really shocked that Eric didn't give you a date. He's already done it before, you know. Maybe he's having a few lunches right now. Well, I ain't paying any attention. He could have written it in there. You're not paying any attention to Eric? To the little chat box. Why, it's your thing against fat people again? Is that it? That's it. Well, take a look at his chat box. Let's see it. Uh-oh. Live up to their purpose. 98. 303. Oh, sure, he then cupped his ears if trying to hear. Look at that. Clinton was asleep. He was sitting there. Look at that. Oh, my God. Bill has a dream. He nods off during uh, MLK award presentation. They just showed him sleeping there behind us. Look at that. Oh, he's old. He's right. He's asleep. Yeah, I saw that yesterday. Isn't he old like you, though? Not right is showing this video. We all nod off, but when you're the president and say the Pope is speaking a few feet away, false, especially. There's Reagan sleeping now. <laughs> Take some no oh, This is For great. some reason, it's adorable when a dog naps. Oh, my God. That was great. There's your uh, two brilliant presidents, man. Bubba and uh, Reagan. Oh, and there's Bobby Bird. Former president exhausted from campaigning for his wife. Wake up. No napping during this segment. Yeah, thank God. How do you like that? Oh, there's the Bushmeister. I wonder if they're going to show him nodding off as if it would make a difference. Oh, there's Cheney oh. sleeping. Work in a collaborative fashion with the federal government. <laughs> Practicing meditation. <laughs> Did you see that while you're watching it? Yep. Cheney nodding off. I love it. The the future of the world hinges on in the hands of these lunatics, man. And they're like, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. Wake them up when the, when the bags of money start rolling in, okay? Wake them up. That, that's when to do it. When oh. the party starts. Yeah, when the party started. But beware, during a State of the Union address, a bunch of politicians seemed to be snoozing. Turns out they were following the text of the president's speech in their laps. A book called The Art of Napping lists Bill Clinton as a legendary napper. Clinton has talked about chronic sleep deprivation among members of Congress who commute. I do believe sleep deprivation has a lot to do with... Some of the edginess of Washington today. Yeah, edgy. Look, look at that. He is in a coma. He's almost falling off the chair. That would have been sweet. Nice going, Bubba. You the biggest names. You the best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. Hey, it's the one to two hour. Down, 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 down. Market's going down, 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 down. Market's going down, 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 down. Stock market is down. Oh, 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 no. Oy. Well, my broker's calling, and he's telling me the market's falling. Now he's standing by his window calling. Come and jump with me. My stocks are fading, even though I've done some heavy trading. To hit the pavement, I'm anticipating. Come and jump with me. Market's crashing, my life is flashing before my very eyes. Stocks I'm dumping, then I'm jumping. Hope to have a coffin just my size. Now I'm standing, 50 floors above where I'll be landing. A wife and family, I will be stranded. Come and jump with me. I'm dying over here. Oh, the economy. 
thank you, Mr. President, for that worthless American dollar and that uh, wonderful gas price and all of the all the gas that I got. The Dow is down 252. The Nasdaq is down 75 and a half point. <clears throat> I'm getting choked up about it. And the S&P is down 31 and a half. For Mr. Oh, the S&P is up, Neil. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. The next person that causes me to lose money in investments that comes along with some bogus deal. And over the years, of course, you know, because I make a couple of bucks, so obviously there have been many of these goofballs out there. Oh, Neil, i got a great investment opportunity for you. Next person does that. I'm just going to blow their crap away. That's all. Good plan. I'm sure I'll get a free pass. Right? Right. Oh, guess what? Prescription drugs found in the room, including sleeping pills. Heath Ledger's still dead. And look at that. Look at all the flowers outside of his uh, apartment building. Just read one of these notes, and this is from an Australian with an Australian flag. And it does say, it's a sad day when someone so talented and Mm. so young dies way before their time. Heath, you will be sadly missed. Many of the notes very similar to that one. So, uh, really, this has touched so many people here. And uh, it, it you hear is those runaway S's? All I can say is. You fair. Yeah. Blaming. Anyway, it's 103 at 560 WQM. Let's get back to the important stuff, okay? To our uh, agenda, to our homosexual agenda. Right? Right. Detroit's got over 100 votes, 107 out of 230 vote. Wow. These people don't like Detroit. And you know what? They're right. Only 11 of our military died in Iraq the past week, question mark. Break out the champagne, says Joan Weil. That's less than some of the weeks before the surge. Obviously, then, that means as our government and our pundits are saying that the surge is working. Therefore, let's throw another lot of GIs into Iraq. Maybe that way even less of our precious young brave ones will die. Perhaps in a year or two, we'll reduce the death rate down to three or four a week. But wait, here's a novel idea. What would happen if we withdrew all of our troops? Amazingly, none of our kids would die in Iraq. Has anybody in Washington done the math? It seems quite elementary to us grannies. Joan Weil, who wrote this, by the way, is author of Grandmothers Against the War, Getting Off Our Fannies and Standing Up to Peace, to be published by Citadel Press this April. She says, what about Iraqi casualties, which we're told have been reduced to a satisfactory number? Just today, it's reported that 80 people were killed and many more wounded in battles in Basra and Nasinia on January 19. That certainly is progress, especially when you add it to the eight killed by a suicide bombing January 16 and at least 10 in a mosque bombing January 17. The New York City group Grandmothers Against the War decided to try to counteract the lie that the surge is working, and that as a consequence, U.S. voters will no longer put the Iraq War on top of their agenda. We decided to do something to impress upon the public that the occupation is still the most vital issue facing us from which all the rest of our urgent problems flow. Health care, education, poverty, and housing dilemmas can't be solved as long as we're pouring money down the Iraq drain. But beyond that, we still have the imperative responsibility to save our troops by getting them out of a place they have no business being in in the first place and where they can solve nothing, as so tragically evidenced by this week's Iraqi death toll. On the occasion of the fourth anniversary of our Grandmothers Against the War weekly vigil at Rockefeller Center, January 16, we grannies held a mock funeral procession through the streets of midtown Manhattan, startling passerby with our large numbers and the drama of our parade. Approximately 70 grannies and supporters walked slowly and silently in single file, some of them carrying open black umbrellas, New Orleans style, some carrying giant black balloons inscribed in white with the words, Troops Out Now, and some carrying placards and banners. The procession was led by four grandmothers carrying two life-size cardboard coffins, one draped in the American flag and one in a black shroud. One granny beat a drum every few seconds, adding immeasurably to the solemnity of the event. The troop of marchers was backed up by a color guard consisting of veterans for peace who regularly participate in our weekly vigil at Rockefeller Center. The group marched from the Times Square recruiting station where 18 of his grandmothers, calling ourselves the Granny Peace Brigade, were arrested 
and sent to jail in October 2005 when he tried to enlist in the military to the site of the Rockefeller Center Vigil on 5th Avenue between 49th and 50th Streets. There we tried for an hour. We read for an hour the names of Iraqi and U.S. dead in Iraq, punctuated by a meditation bell tone after each person's name, age, and date of death was announced. When the names were read, one of the women read a poem sent to the grannies by Yoko Ono, who couldn't join them on this occasion, but who always strongly supports their actions. Then, as the St. Patrick's Church bell tolled at 5.30 p.m., the group observed a moment of silence before concluding the commemorative ceremony. Only a small dent, probably, in the malleable public mind, which is all too easily manipulated by those who continue the occupation of Iraq for their inexplicable but undoubtedly heinous reasons, and those who abet them by not taking action we voters mandated them to take in the last congressional action. But we grannies keep on keeping on in our mission to bring the troops home now, and we won't stop until the last soldier or Marine is out of Iraq. America, please listen to your granny, she says. All right, Grandma. Oh, the Dow is down 232. What a bargain, man. It made a little a hair of a comeback, a little twisted curly hair. Twisted kind of like rotini, you know? Okay. Like that. There he goes with that pasta again. I think during this break I'm going to go make uh, some more bacon. Okay. A rasher. Now, what what really does that mean? I know we've discussed uh, I don't know. this before years ago, but what is a rasher of bacon? Like a portion, but it might well, mean a, a what, specific what amount. What is a portion? Like like when you go out and you buy the uh, microwave bacon, it comes like in little plastic sacks and, and seal pack sacks, and you open up the uh, pack and you grab your sack and uh, and and it is like uh, in portions, you know. Well, like two, uh, the dictionary definition is yes. There's two. You ready? A thin slice of fried or broiled bacon, and the second one is a dish or an order of thin slices of fried or broiled bacon. I see. So, well, I'll, you got I'll take the rasher, thank you. So you don't even have to the... say bacon. You can just say, "Hey, yo, give me a rasher." Mm-hmm. Give me a rash here, right here. <laughs> I got your rash here. Yeah, give me a rash on my Rack-tum. right. Too your late. Foot. 245 vote on the poll. Oh, look at this. Large financial stocks trading higher on analyst upgrade. Wow. Look at that. She's nodding her head. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. It's great. An eye on economic development. Yeah, keep your eye on it, okay? That's what Sammy Davis said. Look at what it did for him. He's still dead. Boy, they're going to be all watching broadcast mounting now, man. Am I right? Going to yeah. be making a comeback. It'll be on all the TV. Every TV network will have it on. All the cable channels. Every single one. Musharraf said Pakistan isn't hunting Osama. Pervert Musharraf says he still gets the question a lot. When will Osama bin Laden and his, troop, uh, his top deputy be caught? Mullah Bullah Omar. The Pakistani president insists it's more important for his 100,000 troops on the Afghan border to root out the Taliban than search for al-Qaeda leaders. That bin Laden and Ayman the Paiman al-Zawahiri are still at large doesn't mean much, the former general said Tuesday, on the second day of a swing through Europe. He suggested they're far less a threat to his regime than Taliban-linked militants entrenched in Pakistan's west. Bin Laden and al-Zawahiri are believed to be hiding somewhere in the lawless tribal areas along Afghanistan's frontier with, with Pakistan. The 100,000 troops they were using are not going around to try to locate Osama bin Laden and, Zawar, and the Zawahiri, frankly, Musharraf said a, at a conference of the French Institute for International Relations. They're operating against terrorists in the process. If we get them, we'll deal with them, certainly. In other words, if we find them, fine. If not, big deal. A U.S. ally in its war on extremist groups, Musharraf's come under increasing pressure following the assassination of opposition leader Benazir Bhutto last month and for his brief declaration of emergency rule in early November. Musharraf, who as commander of Pakistan's military, seized power in a bloodless coup in 99, said the remnants of Afghanistan's former Taliban regime and its Pakistani sympathizers are the more serious issue for both countries. And by the way, speaking of 99, Robert Reaper ain't here no more. Wow. 
company didn't want to take a 90% pay cut. You think that might have been part of it? I'm sure. I mean, I'm thinking it would have to take some really heavy-duty measure to get his ass out the door. He's been there since before Yoshki was a baby. Anyway, Musharraf said there was zero chance that al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and their Pakistani allies could defeat his 500,000-strong army or that Islamic militants could win control of the government in the February 18th parliamentary elections. He is a, a crook, a thief, a stooge, and uh, there you go. And that's the, one of our, our buddy stooges, though, see? He's one of the three stooges. Doi, 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 doi. 250 vote. Oh, look at that. Well, don't miss Big Showdown. There's the a John Edwards with Letterman talking about his hair. And, you know, isn't that the important crap? Who's got the best hair? Right? Well, what else? Who's got the best haircut, baby? Who's got the most expensive haircut? Who's got the real piece? That's why little Dennis Kucinich is sucking wind, man. That's why he couldn't get arrested in a panty raid. Although, didn't you say he's got a really hot wife? Incredibly smoking phenomenal. Wow. Maybe he's got one of those ladders. Or something else we don't uh, know about. <laughs> like my old friend, the late little Bobby Savage. I always, right. always suspected there might be something there. That, you know, the biggest name. The best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. You're gay. The most talked about film of the year is now the musical event of the year. The Brokeback Mountain soundtrack. It's raining, man. Hallelujah. It's raining, man. Amen. The songs you love. From the movie you're afraid to admit you love. Oh, no, not I. I will survive. As long as I know how to love, I know I'll stay alive. Strap on your leather chaps and yell, ride em, cowboy. The Brokeback Mountain soundtrack. It's fun to stay at the YMCA. It's fun to stay at the YMCA. They have everything for young men to enjoy. You can hang out with all the boys. Available at Sam's Goodies. Okay, 116 at 560. You know something that really bugs the crap out of me? On uh, MySpace, people will send you a comment. I think Chris right there sent me one last week, and it was the same thing. Okay. And you go to read it so you can either approve it or decline it. Mm -hmm. It's just got the quotation marks there. Yeah, that uh, sometimes it doesn't work. Right, that, that tells you that it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes when the quotes are there and, and they're in blue, and something you can there, click right. on them and the mm -hmm. link will work. You know, right. whatever the article is. Uh, I just got another one of those. And I got a message here that is just going to, uh, it took me about 30 seconds. Yeah. About 30. About 30, man. To decipher what it meant. This is from Sean, the uh, Felix the Cat guy that sends me all those stories, mostly mm -hmm. the pre-stories, but some interesting stuff. And he writes, aim tree. A-I-M. Oh, tree. I get it. E? Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, what does that mean? And I'm thinking, it means aim tree, and then he's suggesting for the poll, which of these large metropolitan areas would you least like the aim tree as a large metropolitan Oh, my God, <laughs> Sean. Wow. That sure was special, I'll tell you that. Also, a fax from Larry, who was a little behind the times. Remember on Monday morning, George wasn't there because it was a holiday. Remember, Chris, we covered all the dead Correct. people from the weekend? And yes. one of them was Alvin Melvin, but obviously Larry wasn't listening. Well, it was a holiday. Did you know that Alan Melvin died? He was 85? No. Do you know who that is? No. A ubiquitous character actor who played Corporal Henshaw on the classic 50 sitcom The Phil Silver Show, later portrayed Archie Bunker's neighbor and friend Barney on All in the Family. Now you know who he is with that big yes. droopy nose. Yes. 
Melvin was the original Broadway cast of Stalag 17 in the early 50s. During his 50-year career, he made guest appearances on numerous TV shows, including playing different roles on at least eight episodes of The Andy Griffith Show. He also played Sergeant Charlie Hacker on Gomer's Piles and Butcher Sam Franklin, Alice the Housekeeper's Boyfriend, on The Brady Bunch. He did voiceover work in cartoons and appeared in many TV commercials. He died of cancer in Brentwood on January 17. He's dead. Yeah, I did read it on the air, but thank you anyway, Larry. It's worth saying again. He was uh, Barney on All in the Family. All right. All right. What do you mean, all right? He's dead. What Let's if? take a few calls this hour. Oh! Not. Every time I say that, I just chuckle, knowing, knowing full well that <laughs> I had completely lost it. Oh, but we like the way you relate to the callers, Neil. Ho, 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 like the bridge tender. Yeah, we should only have a bridge tender out there now on this station, right? Well, I'll go get a hammer and maybe the bridge tender's not a jock sniffer. Maybe he's not into a sniffing jo- stale, smelly old soil jock straps. I could be. Anyway, this article is by uh, the Independent UK. One more year. Good riddance to George W. Bush. Hallelujah. It says, Arabia is the land of illusion and desert mirages, and as he jetted last week from kingdom to sheikdom to be regaled with feasts and falcons, jewels and ornamental swords, George Bush might have uh, imagined what it was, uh, that all was well with his presidency. See, I'm rushing because it's too long. I'll, I'll get it all in. Tell me not to rush. Don't rush. But this, his longest and most ambitious trip to the Middle East, will surely be remembered, if it's remembered at all, as a gaudy, irrelevant footnote to a presidency that has long since failed. Today is a, som- a somber milestone, ma- marking the start of the last of Mr. Bush's eight years in the White House. This being a leap year, exactly 366 days remain until January 20th of 2009, when his successor will be sworn into office. It's a time when incumbents look to their legacies, and for this president, the view could scarcely be bleaker. Is he the worst president in U.S. history? Mr. Bush faces stiff competition from the likes of James Buchanan, who watched as America slip towards civil war, or Warren Harding with his corrupt administration, or Herbert Hoover, who failed to halt the slide into the Great Depression, or more recently Richard Nixon, the only president to be forced to resign. But in terms of dogmatism, incompetence, ignorance, and divisiveness, Mr. Bush surely compares with any of the above. His first, albeit far from most important, bequest is seemingly inevitable defeat for his own party in November, ending almost 30 years of Republican dominance since Ronald Reagan took power. As David Frum, a one-time Bush speechwriter, put it the other day, I fear the Republicans are heading to an epical defeat, 1980 in reverse. Every game we've made since then has been wiped out since 2002. Then it should be noted, uh, that's a Republican speaking, but Frum's evidence is overwhelming from the president's consistently abysmal approval rating to the 70% of the population who believe the country is on the wrong track, a level not seen in two decades, and that before all but certain recession began to bite, to the 51% of Americans who identify themselves as Democrats. By contrast, just 36% of Americans call themselves Republicans, the widest such margin in two decades. Even on the Republican signature issue of national security, Democrats are at a level pegging. All other things being equal, it is hard to see them losing in November. In politics, of course, all things are not equal. The chances of Bush ordering strikes on Iran may have receded after last month's report by the U.S. Intelligence Committee that Tehran halted its nuclear weapons program in 2003. But some other foreign calamity, a lethal domestic terrorist attack, or even a scandal could reshuffle the electoral cards. Look at the result of the primary in South Carolina. The Republicans will, with the best shot at victory, is John McCain, the veteran Arizona senator and candidate with genuine appeal to independent and centrist voters. He has a chance precisely because he doesn't come across as a standard-issue Republican. But if elected, he'll have to set about cleansing a political version of the Augean stables. What the hell is that? I don't know. Well, these are the Brits, you know. Don't you know about the Augean Sea? Oh, Augean. 
In Greek mythology, Hercules washed away that mess by rerouting the rivers Alpheus and Peneus. Oh, Peneus. Whoever takes the oath of office next January 20th will face a similar task in repairing America, both at home and in the eyes of the world. By almost every yardstick, the country is in a worse state than seven years ago, a state virtually unimaginable when the new century dawned. Mr. Bush can't be blamed for some of the difficulties on illegal immigration among the biggest concern of voters. The reforms he proposed offering a legal path to citizenship were sensible. Alas, by 2007, he was too weak to push it through. Much the same goes for the economy. Presidents are the first to claim responsibility for the good times, but in fact have little power to influence events. The recession that now looms isn't his fault if anyone's responsible. It's the once lionized former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan and the central bank's overlaxed policies in the aftermath of 9-11. The accelerating downturn also proves how, contrary to assertions, the business cycle hasn't been abolished by the wizardness of high-tech economic, econometrics. That said, the Bush era leaves its own nasty odor. Corporate cronyism has been rife. Globalization and cuts driven by ideology have turned the wealth gap between rich Americans and the rest from an embarrassment into an obscenity. Since 2001, the real income of ordinary Americans has stagnated. And the mind-boggling losses suffered by such pillars of the financial establishment as Merrill Lynch and Citibank, followed by humiliating foreign bailouts, suggest something is fundamentally amiss with capitalism American style. Like Enron and WorldCom, these colossal financial shipwrecks will be forever associated with Bush's tenure. A cartoon last week in the Washington Post caught the mood of laissez-faire drift. Anything interesting happened while I was gone, asked a voice from Air Force One as the president's plane flies over Manhattan on the way back from the Middle East. Below, a giant sign dangles from the skyscraper, skyscrapers, America's financial capital. USA, now a wholly owned subsidiary of foreign investors. Of even more immediate concern will be the surge in inequality that affronts America's inherent system of fairness. Nowhere is this more evident than in health care. As Mr. Bush has fiddled, the sickness of the existing system, which leaves a sixth of the population without coverage while consuming a similar share of the country's entire GDP, has become near terminal. Even more corrosive has been the damage inflicted on the U.S. system of governance. This president may have blithely ignored mainstream science, pretended global warming wasn't happening, and only belatedly grasped the disaster of Hurricane Katrina in one domestic activity. However, Bush has not tarried, that of perverting and undermining the Constitution in the name of expanding the president's power to fight this so-called war on terror. To that end, what everyone else considers torture has been sanctioned, the basic legal right of habeas corpus has been denied to designated foreign fighters, illicit eavesdropping on U.S. citizens has been authorized, and fear-mongering has been turned into a political strategy. Somehow, the next president must restore Americans' faith in their own institutions. In foreign affairs, the story is the same. The Iraq invasion may not be the greatest foreign policy blunder in U.S. history, but it's among the greatest, utterly discrediting the country's intelligence services, hugely straining relations with key allies, heading a massive strategic victory to Iran, and stretching the country's military close to a breaking point. Belatedly, the president's learned the virtues of diplomacy, and his troop surge has at least succeeded in reducing the violence in Iraq. Even so, he's bequeathed a no-win dilemma to his successor. It's too late for victory. His successor has to decide how to withdraw U.S. forces without plunging the region into new chaos. In the meantime, familiar issues such as the Israeli-Arab conflict have festered amid years of neglect, which this one trip to the region didn't expunge. Soaring Bush promises of a democratic Middle East now sound like a bad joke, as Washington again embraces the ruthless autocracies it knows. U.S. policy in Pakistan is in ruins, Osama is still at large, and the Taliban are resurgent in Afghanistan. Not only has America lost confidence in itself, but a great tide of anti-Americanism washes across the Muslim world. And that may be the greatest challenge of all facing President Obama, Clinton, McCain, or Romney. America, as Bush, never tires of insisting must lead, but it must lead by example, not just by military force. Guantanamo Bay and Abu Ghraib secret CIA camps waterboarding, an extraordinary rendition of all combined to give the lie to the U.S.'s champion of human rights. 
The new occupant of the Oval Office can but hope today's dislike for America is directed at a leader, not a country. That may well be, but one thing is for sure. Never again will the U.S. occupy that extraordinary position of supremacy, military, moral, and economic, that it held in the interlude between the demise of communism and the attacks of 9-11-2001. To the 44th president falls the task of explaining the truth to the country, as well as dealing with the concrete day-to-day problems left by George Bush. Indeed, one wonders, why would anybody want the job? Anybody want the job? Yeah, sure. How much does it pay? Not much. Not enough. Lots of graft, though, I'm sure. That's what politics, you know, most of it's all about. Oh, I, you know, the job only pays a hundred grand a year, but ten million a year in graft and payoffs, stuff like that. All of, these, all of these things. Twenty-six after one at five sixty WQM. Surrounded by paparazzi In a dress that was too short Looked like a deer in headlights Like she does on party nights Left without fighting for her sons Maybe she had the wrongs She's always got a buzz That's why she does what she does She might be Doesn't she want short and jaded? Her brain is in decay. Rather be at the salon or with new boyfriend at none. Rather drink a bottle of NyQuil or scream at Dr. Bill. Poor Brittany. Yeah. It's 133 at 560 WQM. I think she is emblematic of everything that's wrong with the world. Sure. The world is full of crazy people. That, that's the problem. Oh, I know. Guess what I'm eating right now. now. I don't want you to comment on that. Bacon. The world being full of crazy people. That's the reason we don't take calls anymore. There are just too many crazy people out bacon. there. I'm eating bacon. Mm-hmm. And you know what? This is better than the first batch. I don't know why. I, cook, I did it exactly the same way. I'm in a 29 sec. Hmm. Maybe I'm hungrier now. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe it's just a little bit. I, it's not anywhere near as good as that Schneider stuff, but I can't find it. I think maybe this weekend what I'll do is I'll hop into Pontiac and I'll like I'll make the rounds of all the uh, 24-hour supermarkets in town, all the ones within like you know 50 blocks of where I am. 
Mm-hmm. And I'll find that damn Schneider's, and I'll, and I'll buy like 600 um, boxes of it. 6,000. I'll tell you what I did buy an awful lot of, and it's still sitting in my cupboard, is that low-carb pasta. Yeah. Didn't do it for me this time, I'll tell you that. Instead of, instead of satisfying my appetite for carbs, what it did is it stimulated my appetite for ice cream. Those are the two things I'm positive I'm allergic to. Pasta and ice cream. Sugar, but especially ice cream. Do you believe me? I believe you. Now, don't they have those, uh, I don't know, those, those allergy tests where they stick it with the needles, you know, and they it, test it, all these... It, it's not like that. I mean, I don't want to burst your bubble. You use allergy as a figure of speech. What do you mean by that? You're not allergic. You don't have a bad reaction. You like it. You're an addict. It's like being addicted to masturbating or bowling. Whatever. Listen, it's nothing going on in your brain. You want to tell yourself that to make you feel better. Fine. You just you like something a lot and you have no willpower. That's all. That's what you like. You're addicted. Nothing biological going on inside you. You're addicted to things that you're allergic to. All right. Whatever you say. I didn't say Buddha that. Woman. I read it. I read it. That's Somebody fine. Said, you know, you read a lot of things on the back of cereal what boxes the all the time. Are, okay? Yeah. No, no. Yes. All right. Maybe. What do you no. say, Chris? Uh, I have to disagree with you. You what? I have to disagree. What does with that you. have to do with the question I asked about the tests that they take for allergies? I have no idea. I've never taken an allergy test. My wife did. It was very and? expensive. And, uh, and what did they say? Yeah. She's allergic to you? Yeah. Right, well, we not that. not really. She's allergic to work. Oh, oh, come on. I know somebody like that. Do you? <laughs> so you've never. Uh, and, and what what was the story? They 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 stick her with pins. They stuck her back with all these different I pins, like that. and then they yeah, well, whatever. And then they no, I didn't like it because they they uh, charged me a lot of money to find out nothing. They test the reaction to it, and then they say, well, you've got you know a level blah blah five allergy to this and that. But of course, there's no way of knowing when you're being exposed to this or that. So the bottom line is nothing. We spent a lot of money for nothing. What do you mean by that? It's quackery is the bottom oh. line. It's everything. You're, you're going to be allergic to any number of things in the atmosphere to one degree or another, but there's no way to avoid those things, so good luck to you. I thought they were like food allergy testing. Mm-hmm. No? All, all, well, all of these things. Don't but food allergy, that's something that, um, that's different. Like when you eat it and you yeah. have a bad reaction, like your throat closes up, like people Don't that are allergic to shrimp. Yeah, those are... Allergies. That's what an allergy is. When you have a bad reaction. To chocolate, but I love it. Right. Me too. Because there's sometimes if you eat like real rich chocolate, you'll start like gagging. <laughs> have you ever noticed that, or don't you? Do oh that? yeah. Gag on it. Well, I think that's a fun thing, maybe. Huh? That might be a fun thing, or eating too fast, or something. I think he should get a, a medal, Andy Meyer from uh, Weston, yeah. don't you? Indeed I do. He's a gator. What? He's a gator. Right. I give him uh, credit for having a big pair, man. There's John Kerry. Ba, 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 ba. And he asked him a good question, too. How come he was such a spineless piece of tear they didn't challenge the fixed election in 2004 and the rigged elections in Ohio that cost him the uh, victory? Bada beep, bada boop, bada ba. See, that's one thing, you know, like uh, we just had Martin Luther King Day the other day. And, of course, he was a, uh, you know, a very energetic, devoted uh, individual who, who tried very hard to buck the establishment. And guess what? But a bing, he's dead. He was a rabble rouser. 
That's right. The Kennedys uh, tried to buck the establishment. And bing, they're both dead, JFK and uh, Bobby. You don't cross the mob, I'll tell you that one thing right now. If you do some, you know, I mean, Bobby was there on the, uh, investigating all the mobsters, you know, and so was uh, his brother. And when they got in Orifice, instead of, they, uh, you know, they continued. Even though the mob helped them win like Illinois and West Virginia. Well, that's why they didn't get their payback. You gotta kick, you know, you gotta pay back. Or, or, that's right. It's the way it works with the mob, man. They won't mess with you unless you, uh, you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. That's right. That's Santino for you. 304 votes on the poll about which major metropolitan area other than Aintree in South Florida would you not want to live in? Detroit, 146. 49%. 48%, excuse me, I exaggerate. You know me. Almost half mm-hmm. of the entire total out there don't want to live in Detroit. No, thank you. Boy, this bacon's not bad, you know? Good. It's almost no carbs. Right? The other one has no carbs. This one probably's got like one or two because it's uh, not good. One, not two. Yeah, it's Lawrence Welk bacon. A one, a two. I got an article here about Dick Cheney being another uh, piece of crap, but it's not. It's not nothing new. Say it Dick so. Cheney. Pro- I, I can't talk. I can't read this with my mouthful of bacon. So during the break, I'll finish the bacon. Okay, good. And then we'll uh, bring home the bacon. It's almost payday, by the way. For you. Mm-hmm. You already got paid. Yeah. Everything good? How about that bonus? bonus? <laughs> I'll hold my breath. Biggest names. The best talent. Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. He loves to watch boobs and butts and boinking. I remember when. I remember, I remember when you lost your mind. Tom, it's just not working out. Jumping on over all over the place. Working out. Seems like you and Katie Holmes were a big mistake. Just like a, just like a, just like a large majority of your movies. Your movies. You're a millionaire. It's unfair for paying you too much. Sorry, sorry, baby. All the world's never made enough. That was kind of garbage, too. Waste your broken accent. You a part of budget cuts. Seriously, though, Tom, we fired you because... <laughs> we think you're crazy. Gay like a daisy. You fairy. We think you're crazy. Crazy's a bed bug, man. You're fired, Tom. <laughs> oh, and here's another uh, Tom Cruise bit. Haven't played yet. Oh, good. Tom Cruise pushing Scientology. On YouTube, proves he has lost his mind. His quad will blind. Tom Cruise pushing Scientology. On the internet makes him look crazy. His eyebrows raised. Absolutely. His look is glazed. Reveling like Charlie Manson while preaching the word. A science fiction writer, L. Ron Hubbard. And he claims that he's the chosen one to save us all. That's some pressure for a guy who's five feet tall. Tom Cruise just loves Scientology so much that he's wrecked his whole career. Oh, my dear. Drank the Scientology Kool-Aid. He's convinced his afterlife is made. Oh, in the shade. His death's all Movie star profit serving a steaming pile of gold. 
but believing is mission impossible. Totally brainwashed his prisoner slash wife Katie. And heaven help their little baby Siri who'll be raised in Scientology. Hanging out with John Travolta's kids. They're off their lips. Yes, Tom Cruise loves Scientology. Thinks the rest of us should join the clan and become a fan of the crazy man. Well, I didn't say it was going to be great. I didn't know it was going to be Todd Pettengill, you know, but I, I tried. We'll take it, whatever. I like the other one better, though. Crazy, Me too. sure. Almost out of here, too. 300. <laughs> oh, I got my shoes on, I got my pantaloons on, and my shirt. A nice old man shirt, of course. Okay. And I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready to do a rock and roll, man. I'm ready to fly out the All door. Right. And unlike many other days, I'm not going to stop at the little convenience store and get some uh, Snickers bars or something in the cab on the way to Woodbine. Not going to do it. All right. You believe me? No. I mean, why not? Now, what does that mean? No. Where's the fiducci, baby? Where's the confidence? Where's the beef? I have confidence you'll have some of that. I just did. I just had another rasher of bacon. It was damn good. Hey, that's redundant. Vice President Dick Cheney prodded Congress today to extend and broaden an expiring surveillance law saying fighting the war on terror is a long-term enterprise that should not come with an expiration date. We're reminding Congress they must act now, Cheney told the right-wing Lunatic Heritage Foundation. The law which authorizes the administration to eavesdrop on emails and phone calls to and from suspected terrorists expires on February 1th. Congress is bickering over terms of its extension. Uh, on Tuesday, Senate Republicans blocked an effort by Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid to extend the Stopgap Protect America Act without expanding it, raising stakes for an expected showdown in the Senate later this week on a new version of the law. This cause is bigger than the quarrels of party and the agendas of politicians, Cheney said, and if we in Washington, all of us, can only see our way clear to work together, then the outcome should not be in doubt. Congress hastily adopted the Stopgap Act last summer in the face of warnings from the administration about dangerous gaps and the government's ability to gather intelligence in the Internet age. The Internet's administration allies in Congress not only want the expiring law made permanent, but amended to give telephone companies and other communications providers immunity from being sued for helping government eavesdrop and other intelligence gathering efforts. They want to read your emails. They want to listen to your phone calls. They want to check your toilet paper. They want to check the bowl. I want to see how much corn you've been eating this week. They want to make damn sure they got their... They, they want it all. They want to put the cameras up above your bed. Stick a camera inside your... Rectum. That's right. Any way they can. We're monitoring you. We're monitoring you. Yeah. George Orwell would be so proud, wouldn't he? He would be. He was right. He's dead, though, and so is Heath Ledger. I had a whole art. What did I do? Did I Schmidt Cannon? I think. Oh, I hear it is. A.O. Scott in the New York Times says an actor whose work will outlast the frenzy. Oh my goodness! Now, what, did you know what the name of the character was he played in Broadcast Mounting? No. E N N I S. Anus Del Mar. Anus. Anus. <laughs> you say Enus? I, I say remember Del Ennis used to play for the Phillies on hundred years ago. Anus, however you say it. Del Ennis, but I don't remember no Enos Delmar. Enos rhymes with Venus and Venus and Penis. Enos Delmar in Brokeback Mountain. Wow. I'll just read a little bit of this, and then when I get tired of it, because we're almost out of time anyway. Well, you know, we got to jump on the bandwagon, man. It's the Heath Ledger uh, eulogy. Now that Didn't you have on. a chronic caller named Enos? 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 I don't know, eh? 
Maybe he was from Ain Tree. Ain is from Ain Tree. That is so historical. <laughs> Ain Tree. Yeah. Most populous U.S. metropolitan area, Aim Tree. Although, you know, I think maybe it has a point. There's a lot of Aim Tree people out there. They just don't live in Georgia. A.O. Scott in the Times says the defining performance of Heath Ledger's tragically foreshortened career, more or less equivalent to what Jim Stark in Rebel Without the Cause was for James Dean, will surely be the role of Ennis Anus Delmar in Brokeback Mountain. A portrait of inarticulate love and thwarted desire. Anus is a rich, complicated character, succinctly sketched in Annie Poole's original short story and brought to heartbreaking life by the film's screenwriters, Diana Osana and Larry McMurtry, McMurtry by its director, Ang Lee, and above all, by Mr. Ledger himself. Outwardly, Anus presents a familiar image of rough... rough that's what Larry Craig, Craig said. Of rough-hewn Western masculinity and the longing that surges under his taciturn demeanor doesn't so much contradict this image as help to explain it. Anus's love for Jack Twist, whom he meets tending sheep on a Wyoming mountaintop in the early 60s, takes Anus by surprise and throws him permanently off balance. Off his, uh... Rectum. Anus. His lifelong silence of the film suggests is less a sign of strength than of cowardice and a crippling inability to acknowledge or communicate the truth of his own feelings. It's a rape movie, okay? It's not about love. It's not a. It's a rape movie. That's all. There, there isn't any. There's not even like any friendship. They're not like uh, when they leave for, uh, after they're done with the sheep and they're leaving for the summertime and he gets in the pickup truck. Well, have a good summer. Yeah, all right. See you around, eh? <laughs> like that, you know, just like an tree. What made the performance so remarkable was that Mr. Ledger, without betraying Anus's dignity or his reserve, was nonetheless able to convey the truth to the audience. This kind of sensitivity, the ability to signal an inner emotional state without overtly showing it, is what distinguishes great screen acting from movie star posing. And while Mr. Ledger was handsome enough and famous enough to be called a movie star, he was serious enough and smart enough to be suspicious of this deploying his charisma too easily or too cheaply. Or his... Rectum. Anus. An anus. And on that note... And by the way, in case you're wondering, he's still dead. Biggest names. The best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. Darn it, I told you, don't bother me while I'm in here. Arthur! Uh, hello? It's Mickey Mouse! Oh, Mr. Mouse, good morning. How are you? What the hell are you doing to me? Uh, uh, nothing, sir. You're freaking killing me! N no, I'm not. I got David Kelly calling me every three minutes! Why did we move the practice? Sir, you, you told me to move the practice. I didn't tell you anything. You must have misunderstood me. N no, sir. You said move the practice to Monday. Hey, hey. Listen, Buck Wipe. I'm the boss. I make the decisions. You take the heat. Right. You move the practice. Okay. I... How are we doing with it anyway? I, man. Hold on. Remus. <laughs> yeah, boss. Shut the hell up. I'm on the phone, Remus. Isaac! Yes, sir, what was your question? I'm telling you, I'm going crazy over here. Between David Kelly and now Michael Jackson calling me every three minutes, I'm going to go out of my freaking mind. Hold on. Remus! Can't hear you, boss. Stop it, Remus! I'm going to fall, boss. I'm going to floor, Remus! Remus! <laughs> What's this in my hand, Remus? That's your penis, boss. My other hand, Remus! Oh, that's a phone, boss. Right. I can't hear anything, Remus. Stop sawing the floor. Sorry. Hi, sir. Sir, sir, the moves are working out very well. 
The practice is fourth in its time slot well, and more Fourth in its time slot? Christ, are we even beating the WB? Barely. Oh, my God. The Michael Jackson thing was a rating success. Of course. Hold on a second. Remus. <laughs> what the hell are you doing with a harmonica, Remus? Well, don't play it, Remus. I'll jam that thing down your throat. And get that bluebird away from me. Oh, come on, bluebird. <laughs> I'm allergic. Eisner. Sir, over 25 million people saw Shut the... up, Eisner. Listen. Yeah. You see me, what I'm doing here? Uh, uh, sir, you're on the phone. I know I'm on the phone. Do you see what I'm doing? Use your imagination for crying out loud. I'm moving my hands up and down, side to side. I'm the puppet master. I say it, you do it. Now Fox is going to air all the stuff that you cut out of the Michael Jackson interview. Uh, but, but, sir, you told me to edit out all that stuff to make him look like a freak. Puppet master, me. Idiot. Oh. What the hell are you doing now? Fixing the floor, boss. There's nothing wrong with the floor, Remus. What's this in my ear? That's your penis, boss. My other ear, Remus. <laughs> That's the phone, boss. That's the phone, Remus. Get out. Come on, Bluebird. Get out. Eisner? Yes, sir. Killing me. Uh, Killing me. Uh, I'm sorry, sir. Killing me. Sorry. Killing me softly. Bye, bye, bye. The Neil Rogers Show on 560 WQAM. Fort Lauderdale. <laughs>